Hello everyone and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. I am Jeremy Graves and welcome to the second episode of our podcast. I say our podcast because it's not just me talking about Transformers today. I want to make sure I bring my cohort in crime as it were. Mr. Andy Hanley, how's it going good sir? Hello, it's going very well. I'm I'm excited to be back for more because uh, we can we can roll for it and talk about uh, some more Transformers. <laughs> there you go. And first of all, thank you very much to everyone who checked out our first episode. We had a great time recording it. I'm sure you guys had a great time listening to it and have been enjoying the fun of watching the episodes that we will be discussing as well. Speaking of which, before we go any further, if you do want to watch the four episodes today that we are going to be talking about, make sure you visit the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel, as all of the episodes on there are completely free and are legally available as well, most importantly. So you are supporting Hasbro and whatnot as well by watching them on there. When it comes to the episodes that we will be talking about today, we are covering episodes four through seven of season one. That being specifically Transport to Oblivion, Roll for It, Divide and Conquer, and SOS Dinobots. So Andy, before we, we get into the first episode proper as it were, following on from last week where it was quite the, uh, the trilogy of episodes, if you will, the three-part story, how would you sum up, if you had to try to, th these four episodes as a big clump of them, how would you sum it up? Yeah, I mean, this feels like kind of the the series kind of getting down to its proper business of kind of, you know, a, a more episodic, you know, a, a more episodic kind of set rather than, than having like a big story to get its teeth into. The, the thing that really stuck out to me about these episodes is it really made me think even more about how kind of rushed in some senses those pilot episodes felt. Like the, these episodes feel a lot more kind of, confident in their runtime and in their kind of narrative to be like okay you know we've got a like beginning middle and end it all kind of flows it occasionally feels a little bit kind of you know quick and choppy here and there but it feels a lot cleaner and like a proper tv show whereas the pilot very much having watched these episodes felt like a case of you know, I, I would love to know how much time they were given to kind of complete them from a story perspective, etc. Because they felt very much like, like, oh my god, we need to make a Transformers cartoon, like just throw everything at it. Yeah, it's interesting because I think I'm going to give a slightly different opinion. And for all I know, I might change my opinion as we go along and start recapping them. And maybe I'll just miraculously start appreciating them a bit more. But I actually thought the first two episodes of this batch were a little bit naff. There was just a point where I thought there was so much going on with More Than Meets the Eye, the three-parter. They built up so much. It was such a well-contained, admittedly long story over three episodes, but it felt like there was a lot going on, a lot of introduction. And then it kind of almost felt like, in particular the first episode, to sort of use very much like an anime discussion-based phrase, it very much felt like a filler episode to me. But that's just yeah. how it felt. It didn't feel like it was actually, I hate to say important, but it kind of felt like we got through that story. This is like this is like the literal what happened next bit when there's like a bit of a gap before something else climactic is about to happen. That's how it felt to me at the time of watching. But like I say, maybe now I've had like a couple of days to, to not think about it since I actually watched it. I might change my opinion and appreciate it a bit more. But that's going in to what we're about to talk about. That is how I'm feeling at the moment. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think especially like the episode four, you know, Transport to Oblivion has to be that connective tissue between like the end of More Than Meets the Eye and the start of the series proper. And it's kind of, it's sort of interesting to look at it because a lot of syndicated like cartoons were very, very conscious about not having too many, you know, multi-part stories and not having too much continuity. So I kind of, you, you almost half expect it just to barrel straight on with like the Decepticons are here with nobody ever questioning it, but it actually takes, spends a bit of time of like, oh no, Decepticons are gone, great. Or are they? And then it, you know, kind of circles back around on that. So it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting to see that it does that and doesn't just treat itself as like, well, this is practically episode one all over again. Yeah, and I think also what maybe because again, as I talked about in episode one of our podcast, like I've not I do not recall the last time I rewatched G1 of Transformers. So there is a lot of I'm coming into this almost blind but i have my fandom but i don't recall a lot of information as to how things occurred but there is also just the element that nowadays a lot of tv shows in general are just sort of maybe 10 12 episode stories and i'm just used to consuming content in that way be it an anime show be it like something that's just put on netflix in its entirety in one go or heck just you know just a weekly show that you might see on tv in general because i've got that mentality of watching things now I think that also may have clouded how I felt about this going in. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it has to be a simpler story when you're cramming it into 20 minutes. You know, you don't really have time to build up big, long character arcs or anything, like, you know, cartoon or otherwise. You've got to kind of get in and get out pretty pretty rapidly, which, I mean, I, I think sometimes it's just the kind of mood you're in. Like, I think when I watched these a few nights ago, I was kind of in the mood for something simple and a bit kind of popcorn-y so it's like cool this is you know I, I know I know the setup I know the payoff of these episodes because you know it's Transformers I know exactly how it's gonna like pan out and I was quite happy just to kind of go along for the ride for some some quick uh, quick snacks as it were yeah and like I say for all I know my opinion might change as we go along now I've had time to digest it but I suppose another key important thing to add to my point from a few moments ago is ultimately, this is for kids. <laughs> it's like, I am coming into this now as an adult, allegedly. And so I sort of have to sort of temper my expectations quite a bit as well on that front. So it is important to, to remember, ultimately, this is a cartoon for kids and trying to sell toys when push comes to yeah. shove. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to think even child me thinks that some of the things in these episodes are as, as dumb as anything. And I suspect <laughs> I probably did. Um, but yeah, there, there is also that as as well. But again, it's, it's a weird thing, kind of going back to what we talked about in episode one, about the, the UK comics, which really didn't care too much about, you know, making themselves just for kids. And, you know, those those stories kind of, you know, went pretty deep and, and dark in quite a lot of ways that I didn't even really maybe completely appreciate at that age, but still kind of enjoyed the general gist of it. Whereas, yeah, like the cartoon equivalent is far more kind of, you know, it, it is that sort of popcorn, like, fun times, you know, you, you're not going to be asking your parents any awkward questions. Well, apart from Optimus Prime continually dying in this series. <laughs> right? <apparently>. I mean, <laughs> but we'll get to that. Indeed. So from there then, let's go to the first episode for today. That being episode four of season one, Transport to Oblivion. We begin with the, the, the wonderful deep voice narrator saying as follows, quote, four million years ago, creatures from the planet Cybertron land on, landed on Earth. Mechanical creatures of great technical sophistication, Autobots, end quote. 
We then see Prime and Ironhide standing by a rock side, as I'll phrase it, when Cliff Jumper comes out, and due to the position of the sun, where like a rock was that he saw, he immediately thought it was one of the Seekers and proceeds to shoot at it, even though Prime and Ironhide are right by it, and then have to scarper to make sure they're not going to get crushed by a rock. Probably a sign of things to come as far as how the day is going to go for them. Uh, at this point, that Ironhide is reminding Cliff Jumper and such that they got rid of the Decepticons. They're, they're, they are at the bottom of the sea, excuse me, months ago for good. But Prime isn't so definitive on his viewpoint. And it is important to make a note that at least with this from the outset, Andy, they have firmly established this is a couple of months at least since More Than Meets the Eye, which I did like that as a random plot point. Yeah, yeah, it's not just a kind of like, you know, the next day they came back. Um, but I will also say, like, I mean, recurring theme here of like Cliff Jumper being more gun jumper because he's constantly like <laughs> jumping the gun and shooting too soon. But I am absolutely 100% behind him that that rock did look like Starscream. And I, I feel like, you know, I feel like that one's on Optimus Prime as like a health and safety issue because if you've got <laughs> rocks that look like Decepticons in your workplace, you should probably think about getting them removed before an accident happens. So, like, I, I feel, I feel like, I feel like Cliff Jumper is bang to rights to to like pull the trigger on that one because it, it really did look a lot like the Seeker. I want to see the accident report on that reason that this occurred because a rock looked like to, looked like a Decepticon. <laughs> yeah, just have to re reset the clock. Zero days since Cliff Jumper shot at something that he shouldn't have done. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the bottom of the ocean, we see a Decepticon ship on the ocean bed. And, uh, assuredly, uh, I, I say assuredly, I meant assumingly in a monologuing, Megatron is making it clear that, the, that they have survived when the Autobots think that they haven't. This leads to a cutaway back into space, more specifically to Cybertron. There we see Shockwave in his alternate giant laser form, as I've written it down, firing a laser, but rapidly transforming back and saying that he is running very low on power. Now, Andy, quick point and note. We're to assume, based on what we've seen and what's been said so far, that Shockwave has not been in contact with Megatron for four million years. Would you yeah. also believe that? Or are we just going on the assumption he probably talked to him last week and he's just very low on energy? No, that that does seem to be the intimation because there is like because there is like the surprise of like oh you know like Megatron you're alive um so that would be a weird thing to well I don't know given this cartoon and like Megatron constantly getting into scrapes maybe that's not a weird thing to say on a weekly basis like oh you're, <laughs> you're still here um but yeah that that it did seem like that was the intimation that they had not spoken in quite a while and it was like you know why why didn't you return my calls. Um, I, I also want to know what Shockwave was shooting at at the start of that shot, because it's like, given that he's complaining about a lack of energy, just like firing randomly at seemingly nothing, probably not a very good way of conserving energy, I'm going to say. Yeah, and as we'll get on to in upcoming episodes, that, that seems to be a recurring theme of wasting energy at times, <laughs> at various points, but I'm jumping the gun now, I'm doing a cliff, a cliff jumper. Shockwave attempts to communicate with Megatron and succeeds! He makes a report to Megatron that it is, sorry, uh, his report to Megatron is that they really need a supply of Energon because they are dangerously low on Cybertron, but their new intergalactic transport system is almost complete. 
One thing I actually want to make a quick note of, Andy, is when they when they sort of cut away to Cybertron, I, I always remembered there was the panning shot, maybe like looking from space and cutting away, and then you get to the planet. There's always a really cool kind of like, I can't describe what the actual like maybe instrument or sound is, but it's almost like a twinkling style sound effect of like space. And it yeah. always sounds really cool whenever they pan over Cybertron just anywhere on the planet. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. Like, I, I don't think it's a theremin. It doesn't sound like a theremin to me. But yeah, there's definitely some some good sort of like electronic kind of beepy boopy kind of sound. Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I love a lot of the, the sound design of Transformers. And that is definitely one of the things that is kind of like iconic. It's, it's one of those like... Um, you can hear this image kind of like meme things. Like if somebody shows you a picture of Cybertron, you just like hear that in the back of your head, even like without any actual audio. That is that is a perfect way to describe it. You can very much hear the image. I 100% agree with that. From there, we cut to a power station where Soundwave in his cassette player form is ready to pounce, so to speak, to, to transform and take over the station. With other Decepticons in close pursuit, they begin transferring electricity by pouring it from a cable into an Energon cube. I won't question how that is possible. We will move on. Meanwhile, in a nearby city, Spike is riding inside Jazz and they are caught in a traffic jam due to a blackout. Back at Autobot HQ, Prime tasks Teletran 1 to survey local power stations and discover that a solar power station is the cause of this. But inside that, he sees from a, seemingly a camera feed, I assume, that Megatron lives, quote unquote, and assembles the Autobots who, who aren't out on patrol and such, those being Ironhide, Ratchet, Prowl, uh, Gears I've written down, which I'm not sure if that's correct, and mm -hmm, yeah. an arriving late Bumblebee. At the power station, the Autobots raid on the Decepticons parade, but the Decepticons have their number and overpower them, including uh, Megatron seemingly getting a power boost <laughs> by getting punched into a generator by Optimus Prime. And then in all this kerfluffle, Megatron is ready to end Prime, but Ironhide, being the trooper that he is, I was going to say takes the bullet, but I've written down takes the laser, because it's far more apt. Uh, he takes the laser for Optimus Prime and gets injured in the process, leading to the Decepticons escaping. Quite a lot going on there. And again, I don't want to touch on how do you pour electricity into an Energon cube, but given that, you know, we're talking about Transformers here, I'm willing to let that slide. But, but any other thoughts surrounding this, even the, the big kerfluffle involving Autobots v Decepticons? I mean, the the main the, the main note that I made at this point is that blue collar workers have a really rough time in this show. Like it's con <laughs> they're just constantly being kind of like wailed on by Decepticons, and they're always there with their like hard hats and their their you know work boots. And then the next thing they know, you know, there's, there's just lasers being thrown around everywhere. Like not not a good not a good secure kind of um, you know type of job in in this particular world, as it turns out. Um, but no, otherwise, I mean, this is very kind of sort of um, like kind of carbon copy Transformers of your typical like, ah, the Decepticons find a power source, grab a bunch of Energon, the Autobots turn up, there's a skirmish, you know, the Energon either blows up or somebody gets yeah thrown into some kind of, you know, energy conductor or something, etc, etc. Like, it, it's very much a kind of this is if if you were trying to find some textbook transformers like this this is it yeah that the, the the energy source is what i'm going to refer to now as the monster of the week because that is very much what it feels like at this point yeah in a, in a lot of ways also uh, 
this is another interesting thing, which I kind of wanted your take on, and this is just me thinking far too much about it. If there are a solar power, like energy plant, how is there a blackout in the city? Or are they just draining all of the energy that's coming in so quickly and rapidly that the solar the solar generator just can't recharge? Or have they cut off like the connection from the solar panel to like the city? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, my, my assumption is, yeah, just that they're draining so much power that there's like nothing left in reserve. But again, yeah, the, the science, if only we had a scientist to come on the show to explain the science of Transformers, I'm sure it all makes perfect sense. And it's not just stuff that some writers just like dreamed up in a writing room and said, yeah, that'll do. Um, you know, I'm sure there is all scientific evidence behind it. Absolutely. <laughs> Back at Autobot HQ, Ratchet and Spark plug assess Ironhide's damage and say that he needs a complete rebuild of a specific part. Prime sends Bumblebee to go and spy on the Decepticons, with Spike joining him. Back with the Decepticons, Shockwave is telling Megatron about the space bridge being operational, but it can only be operational for 11 minutes. This leads to what I've written down as a desert area, where by this point, Spike and Bumblebee have all but accidentally stumbled into the, Decepti into the Decepticons area, as it were, and they see them conducting a test for the space bridge. The test sees a small ship containing an Energon cube zooming at high speed into a circular structure on the ground, and then basically a giant black hole of sorts forms in the sky, sucking everything in underneath it, and then the ship departs Earth to go to Cybertron from that. However, it does not arrive at Cybertron, showing that there is still some work to do when it comes to the space bridge. This leads to, and I'm going to try and phrase this politely, Andy, Bumblebee somehow not driving away from the, the chasm, but somehow reversing in, but not. It was quite impressive what he did, considering he was nowhere near it at the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, my, my note I wrote at that point in all caps is, how did Bumblebee fall into the ravine? Because, like, <laughs> that is an absolute... Like, you had one job that was just to go forward and drive forward. And it's like, yeah, like... So, so, maybe, maybe Spike, like put him in reverse when they parked and he forgot about it. Like, you know, that can happen, I guess. But yeah, that was, I, I'm not sure whether to put that down to kind of like bad storytelling or bad animation or possibly both. But that was a really kind of, if, if you want to make Bumblebee kind of one of your sort of cool recurring characters in Transformer, you could not have made him look any more lame than like accidentally reversing into a ravine. <laughs> and then at that point as well, the Decepticons surround them both and Megatron decides they will be the test subjects to lead the next flight on the space bridge. The space bridge is a concept, Andy. I really, really like it. I, I forgot how much I liked it and just the actual visual aesthetic of the concept as a whole. I just really, really like it. It's so striking. And in terms of how they keep going back and forth to Cybertron, but the fact there are limitations in place and they've got to really refine it, it's just a really fun detail to add. And it's just something very unique for this story. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the general rule of kind of writing this kind of thing is if you put the word space in front of anything, it becomes like a thousand times cooler. So, you know, you can <laughs> just have like space car, space banana, space bridge, you know, they all just sound a lot more interesting at that point. But yeah, like it's, it's sort of interesting as well, because I mean, if I remember correctly, like the 
the way the space bridge kind of works and is sort of like used visually changes quite a lot when we get into like the next kind of story arc that we'll probably be covering on the next episode it's de it's definitely different in the in the comics where it is a literal bridge you know they took that concept of like oh yeah a bridge sure we can draw that um and it's just like a weird kind of bridge in space but i'm sure the cartoon does likewise whereas this is far more kind of like version 0.1 of the space bridge i guess which is just like it, it, it's kind of like you know back to the future with some weird like you know decepticon technology bolted onto it i guess spike and bumblebee are loaded into the decepticon test ship with a whole bunch of energon in the back seat behind them but the timer has run out on the space bridge and apparently cannot be reinitiated for another 3,000 astroseconds, which Megatron says is intolerable. <laughs> yeah, he's, I mean, he, 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 he wouldn't enjoy the British rail system, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, that's, that, that's a few thousand astroseconds seems, uh, seems quite reasonable. I also question at this point, like given that this is another test run, why are they putting all the energy on in there? Like, right? surely, surely you just want to send like another cube just to check, not like, oh, I'm sure it'll be fine this time. Just bung it all in there. Like that's a that's a high risk strategy right there. I, I won't lie, like, even though Starscream like is just by default one of my favorite characters, the times when he does question what Megatron is doing, this would be a perfect instance to question him at this point on that. Like, why not just put a cube in there? Just to make sure yeah. it works, rather than all of it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess they they don't have the phrase "don't put all your eggs in one basket" on Cybertron. Otherwise, somebody could have used that and maybe explained the the issue with their plan. But <laughs> hey, De Decepticon's gonna Decepticon, I guess. There you go. So with the test now basically being over before it's even begun, Spike says that he wishes that their luck would change, which prompts Bumblebee to have the fantastic idea in the front seat of this train of changing into his car form and breaking through the glass window of the test ship, then escaping. But Ravage is sent after them. At this point, Spike is seen running at the same speed as Bumblebee when he is on foot for a few moments before falling over. But Bikes, uh, Bike, that's not his name, but Spike sends Bumblebee away and instructs him to leave him there. Basically go back to Autobot HQ. At this point, two of the Jet Seekers are now in pursuit of Bumblebee, leading to some great animation during this chase sequence. Like There was some excellent car chase stuff going on here. But Bumblebee takes refuge inside a cave and starts climbing inside towards another exit at the top. But Starscream and Thundercracker were waiting for him. It's almost like they knew that was going to happen. And Starscream hits him with what he literally called the Null Ray to incapacitate him. Suddenly, Megatron appears, much to the disgust of Starscream, who Megatron makes clear he cannot trust in any way, shape, or form, and begins altering the memory chips of Bumblebee via some kind of, what I've described, Andy, as chest tube from Megatron and then holds it against Bumblebee's head. Yeah, it's, I, I mean, there, there are a few things that I kind of love that are like classic, classic any cartoon, um, <laughs> but also classic Transformers of like, I, I think I talked about it in the, in the last episode where like characters, sometimes they just fire their pew pew lasers, but sometimes they have their actual proper like weapon descriptions and uses like the Null Ray, which is like actually Starscream's, you know, what his weapons are supposed to do. And and occasionally the writers either need to use that or remember to use that. And it's suddenly like, oh yeah, by the way, I have a Null Ray. Um, 
but yeah, it's like, I mean, I feel like Megatron and Optimus Prime in particular have all kinds of like gadgets and attachments, like some kind of like, you know, supercharged Dyson vacuum that they can just like add and remove at will. And it's like, you know, single use, you never see them use it again. Um, and it's, yeah, like, you know, Megatron suddenly just being able to like rewire somebody's brain, which again, probably should have done that when he put Bumblebee in the, the, the test car, <laughs> not like 20 minutes later after he's escaped. But, uh, you know, hey, hindsight is twenty twenty, I guess. I know, right? That's what Starscream keeps thinking, I guess, all the time. The, the other thing as well, again, just to re-emphasize it, the actual car chase when it's the Seekers chasing Bumblebee, there was some awesome animation then. It just looked looked really, really cool. And I think at that point, that was probably like the peak of some of the animation that we've actually seen in the whole show so far. Yeah, it's probably, I mean, for, for that kind of level, it's probably the, the easiest stuff to do and to make look decent because, you know, as soon as you've got sort of like you know, humanoid characters and faces on screen, that's one thing. And, you know, when you're trying to do other complex stuff, that's another. I mean, it's sort of going back to the fact that, you know, we mentioned we're in some kind of desert. We spend a lot of time in some kind of desert in Transformers <laughs> because it makes for very easy, reusable backgrounds of like, yep, somebody grabbed the desert paintings again. We need to put them up behind these uh, these shots. So, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of desert action in Transformers for that exact reason. And also, leading up to, like, Bumblebee being reprogrammed and whatnot, you can add him just climbing up the inside of the cave to go to the exit and see if the coast is clear as another Bumble moment, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> just another fumble on his part. Yeah, Fumblebee shall be his new name. <laughs> there you go. Meanwhile, back at Autobot HQ, Sparkplug, quite rightly, is worried about Spike and Bumblebee. Even though, I will note, Andy, Bumblebee was in the background standing next to Ironhide, but I won't judge that any other way. Bumblebee then appears relaying what has occurred when Prime asks for the location of the space bridge. Bumblebee says its location is, quote, in a cave 96.4 miles off the highway, and Spike is in the cave too. Now, while he's saying this, it should be noted, there's kind of like a purple haze that appears over like Bumblebee's head. And his speech sounds much more stilted than normal is the way to phrase it. And also worth noting that Laserbeak is watching on in secret at this point as well. With this information delivered from Bumblebee, the Autobots roll out without a moment's hesitation. Laserbeak then returns to Decepticons uh, to the Decepticons underwater location HQ via part of it rising above the sea level. And then Megatron is relayed the information report by Laserbeak, which he's very chuffed at, it's got to be said. At the cave, despite it being too quiet when the Autobots arrive, they enter and they are ambushed by the Decepticons, with the cave entrance they have gone through sealed off as we cut to a commercial break in the show. I must say, Andy, while we love the Autobots, they don't half occasionally look dumb. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is very much a, like so, something is clearly wrong here. But I guess we'll just like jump in anyway, which is also weird because you know there's a very similar situation with like in the episodes we talked about last installment of this podcast where they just send in Roller to like check things out and you know just send in a small force of people. But this time it's like no, we'll all go in this cave with no easy means of escape. Like what could possibly go wrong? And, uh, you know, uh, who can who can say what will happen when we come out of the commercial break? Surely 
things will not go terribly wrong. <laughs> As we return, a firefight begins, and somehow we see Jazz using what I best described as a long rock as a baseball bat to hit back some lasers that Starscream fired. I love that. I won't lie. I howled with laughter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just like, why Why not? Like, you, you, you're you going to have some, some dumb fun with this thing. You might as well have some weird, like, baseball moment. And it's also, it's one of those things where it actually works quite well as a character moment because that is totally, like, a jazz thing to do. Because, you know, like, the sort of, the, the, I think it's like the tech specs on the actual jazz, like, Transformers toy was like, oh, like, he's really fascinated with Earth and everything about it. Like, it's why he's called jazz, because, like, he's into, like, you know, Earth music and all of that. Of course he'd be the guy that's been like, yeah, sure, let's, like, just do a baseball thing with this. So I, I, I do appreciate it for that as well as actually being in character. Of course he's the Transformer that discovered sport on Earth basically yeah yeah exactly <laughs> that like he 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 would happily be there just like munching a hot dog in a baseball game if he wasn't like fighting decepticons continuing with the firefight we see optimus prime returning the favor for ironhide from earlier in the episode by pushing him behind a rock as megatron was about to fire on him in the process he gets his foot caught in some rocks silly prime Megatron proceeds to try and cut him down to size, launching a circular saw blade at him. <laughs> Somehow, again. But, but he fails, it should be noted. Uh, but in the process, he releases Optimus Prime from his foot prison and creates a load of dust that, that from just from the buzzsaw, basically. He just creates a big like wave of dust in the air. So now Megatron cannot see him. Uh, in the heat of the battle, Shockwave informs Megatron that the space bridge is about to open. Just there and then. You thought they could have planned that a bit better. Leading to Megatron and co. to head to the space bridge. Well, except Starscream, who... who who refuses, quite frankly, to retreat, but follows anyway after they make an exit through the wall and basically just being demanded to do so by Megatron. The, De the Decepticons head for the space bridge, but not before blocking off the new exit to the cave that they've literally just created. Which then, Andy, adds an interesting point to this conversation. The Decepticons locked themselves in the same cave with the Autobots for this firefight. Yeah, there, there are there are a few kind of holes in like the the Decepticons' plan here because a I mean they blast their way out to like get out of that situation themselves and then immediately say, well, let's just block the Autobots in. They'll never escape. It's like they're just going to do exactly the same thing you just did. They're going to use their weapons to, to blast the rocks away. Like, how did you think this is going to work differently for them? Um, but also a weird duality with Starscream there because like. In that initial skirmish we see at the start of the episode, like he's he's kind of the first one to do a runner, and then like later on he's like, No, Starscream never retreats. It's like, well, like 10 minutes ago you did. So like you can you can you can shut it. <laughs> yeah, Starscream in this episode, or in these this group of episodes, really start to starts proper developing some sass. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it it is actually it's sort of one of the notable things about sort of the, those first three like pilot episodes that we talked about. They were clearly not quite there with how they wanted that character to act. Whereas here, you start to see sort of proper kind of like hypocrite wannabe leader Starscream kind of coming to the fore. Inside the cave, the Autobots are banged up, but while repairing Bumblebee, Ratchet discovers that Bumble Bumblebee's chips have been altered. Bumblebee is now able to remember where the space bridge is after Ratchet works on him. The Autobots create a new exit and head for the space bridge location. But there, 
at the space bridge, that is. Shockwave makes it known via a communication once again that these bridge this time will only be operational for four minutes. Which I do question, Andy. Why at that point are we not told it in Astro Seconds? But that's a debate for another time. <laughs> Spike is being held in an energy field, which he seemingly... What's the way to describe this? When Soundwave approaches him to, like, I guess, tell him you're getting, like, get in the ship, Spike, kind of thing. Spike just kind of waves it off and it disappears. <laughs> it was almost like he had magical powers at that point. But again, I shan't question it. Yeah, I mean, this is a man that can run as fast as a VW Beetle going at speed. So let us not question the abilities <laughs> of Spike or, or, or Bike as his, like, his superhuman form might, may not be called. <laughs> Spike is loaded onto a new train packed with a boatload of energy on the back seat once again for a bridge that Megatron says, quote, uh, sorry, and Megatron says to him, quote, you will be riding in a beam of light. Concentrate on the beam or you will fly off into the cold, dark void and cease to exist. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's perhaps not the best kind of like airplane safety demonstration you've ever heard. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's not what you want to hear when you get on your, your BA flight to Glasgow. But, you know, Megatron, not not the best flight attendant, as it turns out. I know. And then, of course, he adds to that further by then just saying, oh, effectively going, by the way, your Autobot friends have been buried in a cave, so they're not coming <laughs> to help you. <laughs> At that point, just telling Spike, well, at that point, you know, what's left? <laughs> Do I just want to go into the cold, dark void of the space bridge? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's a weird kind of like bad psychological ploy there because like had had this continued down that path, like Spike would have had every right to be like, well, I guess I'll just deliberately crash your ship full of energon and you know mess this all up for you. But uh, again, you know, may, may, maybe maybe not Megatron's greatest like planning moment there, but hey ho. <laughs> the Autobots arrive and immediately begin attacking, but the transport sorry, but the, the transport ship for the space bridge is already in motion. With some top-notch sharpshooting, to say the least, Prime manages to not only open the front glass window of the train, but also somehow destroys Spike's like seatbelt shackles that he's been locked in the chair with. And then Bumblebee drives alongside him, leading to a dramatic leap from the train by Spike. The train derails, leading to the Energon cubes falling out. And Megatron, clearly at this point, has just had enough of this day. He then tries to pick up the cubes and put them inside the bridge area for the transport. But instead, they blow up in his face, quite literally. And then he falls into the bridge and gets sucked into the black hole above. Starscream and the random doppelganger next to him, which I think was meant to be Thundercracker. Again, yeah. That happens. Uh, proclaims that Megatron is dead and orders the Decepticons to follow him. The Autobots, uh, the Autobots celebrate their victory, but Prime is unsure that Megatron is truly lost. The episode then concludes by us cutting to Cybertron, where Megatron has successfully arrived back on Cybertron in Shockwave's lab and vows that he shall be avenged. Scene. <laughs> This, having gone through the episode, there were some some good fun moments, but there is the only way I can put it that there is a lot of character motivational inconsistency in this episode. I feel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is it is that typical thing, and I I, I think we'll run into this a, a lot of that typical kind of kids' cartoon where it doesn't really 
care too much about the minutiae and the details. It's very much just like how how do we make the robots fight? And that's kind of like that's kind of as far as it gets with that. And to be fair, like so, some of these episodes are, are kind of more smartly like plotted out than than others. But that is sort of the recurring theme of really it's just find an excuse to you know get get these characters to fight in a way that will hopefully sell some toys. One other note, actually, there are two more notes I want to make about the episode. Just recalling when Ratchet is working on Ironhide nearer the start of the episode, when Ironhide's been like was taking the bullet for for Prime. Did did Ratchet come across like an evil mad doctor to you at that point? And he just silences him by hitting the mute button on him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is the there is a bit. I mean, I, I do really enjoy that as a, uh, as a moment of just like Ironhide kind of being a bad patient and complaining, and then Ratchet just being like, "Well, guess what? Like, I I I know where your volume control is, so shut up." Um, and I, I sort of I, I do appreciate that. Again, th those are the things that I sort of quite like about the episodes that we've had so far is when it has those character moments and kind of, you know, it, it sort of breaks out from just being the rote kind of like we have to fight the Decepticons. Like, you know, when you get a bit of banter between characters or you get those kind of little, those little moments that show, you know, like, cause you know, Ironhide is like the loudmouth old timer. And so of course everyone would just be like, well, just please shut up and, you know, let, let us do our jobs. And then the other note that I've got as well, which is, it's an interesting one. This probably plays in a little bit as well to what's going to happen in one or two of the upcoming episodes we're about to discuss. Does Megatron use up more energy when he's in his handgun form? Because there was a notable point where he was totally fine, then went into his handgun form and then was very low on energy after. I mean, maybe there's... Uh, I, I mean, I guess maybe he expends more energy like when he is fired in his gun mode. Um, mm. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. Or, or maybe it's all the weird, like, mass displacement of having to turn from big robot into little gun and back again. I guess there's... <laughs> again, if only there was a scientist that could explain this to us. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a lot of weird stuff. Because there's... It's a thing that we didn't mention in like the first three episodes. Like there are moments, and there are moments in these episodes as well, where a character's eyes just kind of glow for a bit. And I don't, I don't think there's any rhyme or reason to it. I think it's just like the animators decided it would look really cool if their eyes glowed a bit here. But it's like it feels like it's trying to symbolize something, and I'm never quite sure what. Hmm. I have to keep an eye out for that. But with that being said, Andy, we now move on to episode five. Roll for it. Yeah. We begin with the quote-unquote new leader of the Decepticons, Starscream, leading Thundercracker and Soundwave to a hydro power station. After some pesky humans fail in their attempt to hold off the attack, Starscream is not fooling around and just blows up some oil drums and just some boxes right by some humans. Not a care in the world for life at all. Their goal is to steal energy and harness it as Energon cubes. Who needs Megatron? The Earth's energy shall be ours, says Starscream. The Autobots, specifically Prime, Brawn, and Cliffjumper, enter the conflict zone, as I've phrased it, and uh, rather as Prime called it specifically, and in the process of the scuffle, the Energon cubes explode, forcing the Decepticons to retreat in, a, in quite the sequence of good and utterly ridiculous animation in places. We'll get to, to Soundwave's exit from this power station in a minute, Andy, because that was quite the scene just then. But Blue Streak and Prowl are tasked with covertly following them as the Decepticons retreat, battered and bruised from their encounter. So, 
do you recall how how Soundwave looked when trying to exit this power station? It was like a slapstick comedy routine. Yes, yeah, it's a really weird kind of not not great kind of like yeah movement animations going on there. Yeah, and even like when I think when Starscream at that point was transforming in the air, like his his transformation sequence just looked weird. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. he had like a really long nose and stuff as well on his jet. It was just it was all over the place. But, but what are you gonna do? I suppose. Yeah, because you see, with with the, with the jets, like I felt like that was maybe a deliberate one to show that they'd been kind of like damaged and roughed up in the battle. Because it did sort of like reference that later that like, oh, we're we're in bad shape. So I kind of like I gave a free pass to those. But yeah, Soundwave's kind of like Ministry of Silly Walks kind of escape was not was not supposed to look like that. I don't think. <laughs> Back on Cybertron, I assume in Shockwave's lab, Megatron is anxiously waiting to get back to Earth, partly because he has no idea what damage Starscream has done in his absence. Shockwave is able to send a transmission to the Decepticons on Earth from his lab, which, although we don't know specifically how long it's been since the last episode from a continuity perspective, it is the first time that Starscream specifically is aware that Megatron is still alive. Here's where things get a little bit murky when it comes to when it comes to details and continuity on this front. Megatron makes it known that they will attack the laboratory as planned. The antimatter formula, as it's uh, as it's referred to, there will give them the key to ultimate power. Thundercracker is very happy to hear that and makes it clear once again, after an earlier jibe, that with Megatron's leadership, they cannot fail. Starscream's response: Leadership is my sign function. I've written down here, which I thought was a bit of a weird quote, but there you go. Megatron makes it clear to meet him in the desert near the laboratory in 5 billion astroseconds and enters the space bridge chamber with a very suspicious sounding best wishes from Soundwave, as I've put it. <laughs> he successfully arrives on Earth and is greeted by Laserbeak and Rumble, the latter relaying that Reflector, the camera Polaroid transformer we spoke about in the first podcast, will be back soon with a lab report. Now, there's a lot of detail going on there, but essentially Megatron's back on Earth now. But that, that there are a lot of kind of continuity loopholes in that little segment there, Andy. And it almost makes me feel like that Megatron told everyone but Starscream he was still leader and that everyone was just following him just to kind of keep him like kind of like just a child that just wants attention. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And again, I, I mean, I guess that is a, like, another kind of Transformers recurring theme where like th there are these points where like Starscream takes charge and everybody just kind of begrudgingly just like, oh, all right then, I guess. And I, I'm, ne I'm never sure whether the, like there's any kind of, I, I feel like it's partly just the other Decepticons being like, well, if we if we let him take charge, he'll just like make a, a, an incredible mess of everything and probably wind up dead. So let's just go with it and see what happens. Um, but uh, yeah, like th that that whole segment, I I seem to recall. I think I actually kind of rewound the episode a bit because I thought I'd maybe like blanked out for a couple of minutes because it kind of goes from like nowhere to like oh yeah we're gonna steal the antimatter formula and i'm on my way back like pretty quickly as like wait the antimatter what like hang on a minute did i yep. miss something there because that 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 feels like there's kind of like a deleted scene or something that explains some of that stuff but it's just again i guess that typical kind of like you know saturday morning cartoon thing of like antimatter sounds cool we can just throw that out there and people won't argue like hang on where did this come from sorry i mm. missed this 
And then also it's like, you know, he said that he'll be at the space bridge in the desert. It's like, what, what desert? Where? How do they know where? <laughs> so it's, yeah. just, it's little things like that. Well, yeah, and 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 again, like que- questioning the the Autobots. If at the end of the previous episode they didn't just blow up that space bridge, like clearly <laughs> assuming it is the same space bridge as the previous episode, like you'd have thought you would have done something with it. Like you know, you would have reprogrammed it. You would have put a padlock on it. I don't know mm-hmm. something to like stop the Decepticons using it again. But uh, so that that seemed like a bit of a failing on the uh, on the Autobots part. Take out but, a it, power cable, you know, something. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, swap some of the wires, whatever. Um, but it, it does. It, it's also another interesting one. Like you know, as, as I mentioned with the previous episode, where there is actually a continuity here, which you mm. don't often see with these kind of cartoons. So it's kind of like again, really. Again, it started this episode expecting it would be straight back to like Megatron's in charge, everything, you know, back to where we were, like, you know, back to square one. But it actually, you know, continues from the previous episode where, okay, Starscream is in charge, Megatron's still on Cybertron. And and I I do find that kind of interesting that it it actually ran with that continuity rather than just like doing a lot of, because those first like five minutes or so could have been happened like off camera and it could have just started with Megatron being like, right about this antimatter thing. Hmm. Yeah, it, it is nice to see that there is, I will say, enough continuity like that to almost make you feel like I am watching the next episode. Yeah, and yeah. stuff but, has but, happened. But also not too much that if this was like the first episode of Transformers you'd ever seen as a kid, you would have been like, none of this makes sense. Like, because mm. it sort of kind of, you know, works and it moves pretty quickly. At the lab, Bumblebee arrives with Spike and another human. His name is Chip Chase, which I did laugh at the name, Uh, a wheelchair-bound scientist. They're granted access by a security guard, but Reflector is still on site and captures the door code in photo form before heading back to Decepticon HQ. Quote, stealing stealing, uh, the matter will all be a piece of oil cake, he says. That's the quote. Don't don't argue with me. Inside, they meet another scientist who we later learn is named Dr. Alcazar in the lab, who makes it clear that Chip is a key component to understanding the antimatter formula and gives him a floppy disk, Andy, to allow him to talk to the big supercomputer in the lab from his home. Yeah, not not just a floppy disk either, a five and a quarter inch floppy disk. <laughs> and, and, and anybody like under the age of like probably forty, is, like has probably never even seen a five and a quarter inch floppy disk before this. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what they used to be like before we had three and a half inch floppy disks, and then didn't have floppy disks at all because they had no capacity and were terrible. But that concludes my IT expert segment <laughs> of this podcast. <laughs> After leaving the lab, they are attacked by Laserbeak en route back to the city, but escape by heading into an underground car park. Everyone's escape route, Andy, no matter where you are in life. Laserbeak is now back with Megatron, Reflector, and Rumble, relaying what occurred. Megatron makes the decision to attack now, rather than waiting for the Seekers, as Prime will likely arrive there soon. For some added context... From the first battle, like the Seekers and Soundwave, they have not got back to Decepticon HQ yet. So that's why Megatron was saying, we need to go now. They're not back yet. Prime might get there before us. That's why they said that. Chip is dropped off at home after they clearly escape the underground car park uh, and is able to to go, sorry, is able to, to use the floppy disk to get into the lab computer. But an urgent call has been put out to the Autobots 
and Prowl and Blue Streak have tracked down the Seekers and Soundwave to an airport hangar where they are stripping other planes for repair parts. Also worth noting at this point as well, that Chip has decided to learn the code for the antimatter formula completely so that he is so that the disc is not the only thing that can do it. Fair play to him. In what is an interesting twist on Starscream's character, he now doesn't want Megatron to get the antimatter formula because he feels that Megatron can't be trusted with it. At this point, Prowl and Blue Streak uh, arrive and they make for an ambush but they are outnumbered by the Decepticons in the hangar. Like I say, an interesting character development from Starscream there, because we constantly see Megatron saying he doesn't trust Starscream, and Starscream always is saying, I can be a better leader, and it's like, what are you going to do now, fearless leader? Are you going to attack now, fearless leader? But now he's just outright said he doesn't trust Megatron, and I think that's a pretty significant character development. Yeah, yeah, he's he's definitely uh, de definitely ramping up the rhetoric now. He's had a bit of a bit of time in charge. I mean, I mean, clearly, what's really needed here is for one of the Decepticons to transform into a counselor and get them to sit and talk about their feelings for a bit, because you know, there, there's there's clearly there's clearly some issues that have built up there that they they need to work through. That'll be shockwave, surely. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think anybody wants shockwave to be their counselor. To be fair, but anyway. Also, I've got to say, I really like Chip as a character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of good. You know, as, as much as I was kind of joking about like the, the blue collar workers, like you know, having a bad time in the show. It's kind of it, it's yeah. Like Ch Chip is a really good character because it's sort of it, it's a very different kind of human companion to have to like you know Spike and uh, uh, and Spark Plug, who's kind of on the the, the other end of the scale. And um, yeah, like you know. <laughs> He does some great stuff in this episode, as we're about to get to. So, Yeah, the other thing I really like about Chip as a character is when you compare, compare sorry, Spark, Plug, and Spike, they're very obviously like mechanical-based, like they can work on parts, they kind of come up with the odd idea here and there. But Chip is very much, he can just adapt to the spur of the moment and just do anything. And he's, he's got the brains to do it and will just be like, oh, wait. I can do that. Tap, 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 tap on a keyboard. And before you know it, he's done something. He's yeah, just got a really yeah. cool head about him and is arguably one of the Autobots now strongest human allies as well. Yeah. I mean, given that we spent like most of the last episode talking about how stupid the Autobots were being about things, like having somebody that's got some smarts and some strategy to them, probably a useful, a useful tool to have in their arsenal. You aren't wrong about that. Back at the lab, Megatron's raiding party arrives just as Chip Chip's message arrives with Dr. Alcazar warning them about the fact that the Decepticons were on the way. Uh, and uh, <laughs> my favorite line from Megatron in this episode, where he simply said to Dr. Alcazar, the antimatter formula, flesh creature. <laughs> Just fantastic line from Megatron. Uh, it turns out the Doctor was able to quickly upload the formula to someone else. So they can't get it now. But Megatron vows to find out who it was uploaded to. Turns out it was sent to Chip on his on the floppy disk. Back at the aircraft hangar, Prowl's battle computer is badly damaged and ends up connecting to another computer via phone lines. It's Chip's computer, by the way. Uh, and sends a, a distress signal. Chip answers the call and assumes control of Prowl like he effectively he's playing a video game or something. <laughs> Just playing online. And Chip ends up making Prowl commandeer a jet and fire missiles 
at the Seekers and Soundwaves, also in the process doing some pretty good acrobatics in there as well, and forcing the Decepticons to retreat. A lot happened here, Andy, in this battle scene. Yeah, and, and all of it I found was pretty awesome. Like, I, I really enjoy all of this stuff. Like, especially, again, like, for, for mid, mid-80s mid time, like, having them use basically, like, a, a, a BBS kind of bulletin board system as kind of, you know, a, a proto-internet was kind of, like, actually pretty on the on the nose for that kind of point in time. So I found all of that stuff really cool. Um just the whole like controlling Prowl thing via that was was pretty pretty fun. Especially given that it's Prowl because he's just like what are you doing, you lunatic? <laughs> this all seems like a really stupid thing to do. And Chip's just like, oh, just give me a minute, wait and see. And then it's like, oh no, actually this is a really awesome thing to do. Just ca- carry on. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed all of that scene. Like it is, it is ki- kind of dumb, but in all the right ways. So I, I it's and, and it's it was a good fun kind of break from the norm of Autobot Decepticon fights. That is just you know a lot of lasers being fired about and not you know two, two teams basically standing on opposite sides of a room shooting at each other. There was actually a little bit of of strategy and thought and you know back and forth to it that I think is kind of you know better than a lot of these sort of battle scenes tend to pan out. I completely agree. And also, I like the fact that the battle was in a hangar. It just added, like you said, it was something new, it was something fresh, and it just yeah. it really added to it. Yeah, well, it wasn't in the desert, so <laughs> bonus go. points. They got budget for this episode, apparently. <laughs> Back at the lab, lo- uh, Locator, that's not his name, Megatron has located, there you go, the formula... Uh, this is the sentence I wrote, Andy, just for context why I can't say this. Megatron has located the formula's location. That's what I wrote down, but apparently I couldn't say that. Uh, (laughs) And directs the Seekers and Soundwave to go and get it. It turns out it's at Chip's house, as we already knew. And Ravage is sent in to retrieve the formula, but not before Chip rips up the floppy disk. Andy, for context for anyone that may not know, are those old school floppy disks really easy to rip? No, because they're kind of like, they're plastic. Like, you know, try ripping something plastic. Like, you can fold them and bend them and kind of damage them that way. You could certainly cut them up. I don't think you could easily rip a, a five and a quarter inch floppy disk in half. To be fair, I've never tried. Like, maybe that was <laughs> my mistake. But I, I would imagine it's not something that you can do all that readily. But, you know. So we've now established Chip has superhuman powers, just like Spike. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he, but, um... But not before Chip rips up the floppy disk, as I mentioned, but makes it known in an inner monologue to himself that he has already memorized all of it. It doesn't matter, though, because Ravage just goes, well, and then just jumps through a window with Chip in his wheelchair and then puts him inside one of the Seeker jets in quite the acrobatic moment. <laughs> yeah. After you this, this, this kind of also sort of reminded me actually of some of the, the early Transformers UK comic stuff where um, basically rather than memorize it like Optimus Prime just kind of like uploads all the, the, the creation matrix as it's called like into Spike's brain and there are some really horrifying bits in that comic where basically Shockwave just kind of electrocutes Spike's head to try and get the memories out and it's like my god I was reading this and I was like five six years old and like I'm, I was getting like I think like PTSD from these moments of like oh god what are they going to do to Chip like when you when you've got memories stuck in your head you don't want the Decepticons messing with you this is this is going to end badly yeah and ultimately as we saw with Bumblebee in the last episode <laughs> indeed Back at the lab, the Autobots are now en route, but the Decepticons are already there, and with Chip. 
uh, literally in hand. This forces the Autobots to stop because they basically threaten that they'll do something. But Prime has a plan. Inside, the arrogant flesh creature, as Megatron calls him, is having Soundwave do a brain scan, similar to what I think you just mentioned a second ago, Andy, uh, to, extract, to extract the formula and succeed, much to Chip's protest. Prime's plan is for Mirage and Hound to use their sort of active camo slash holographic abilities to conceal themselves as they approach the front gate to this laboratory. Now, Rumble is at the front gate on guard watch, if you will. So, in what this is the only way I could describe this. Mirage concealed himself. Hound turned himself into a boulder. <laughs> yes, he did. And it worked. <laughs> That's the funniest part. Rumble's just like, oh, what's going on? Uh, it must be fine. It's just this rock moving towards me. That's perfectly normal. And yeah, it's like the, the, the plan is stupid, but the fact that it works is delicious. And again, it's one of those things where you can't quite tell whether it's just kind of a Friday afternoon in the writer's room of like, how do we get hounds to like, you know, what, what does he camouflage as? And it's like, oh, I don't know, a rock. Let's go down the pub. <laughs> or whether the, the, this is a very deliberate ploy to, to, to just really dig into just how stupid Rumble is that he sees this kind of this in, this kind of come, coming on in front of him and just being like, oh, no, this is all perfectly normal. There's nothing to worry about here. What I also loved is that he was distracted by the rock and then a bunch of the other Autobots just snuck by him. <laughs> Yeah, to get I mean, by him. That was what was even better about it. It is, yeah, like it's almost like some full blown like pantomime going on there, just like while Rumble's just like studying this rock, like half the cast of the show just kind of wander behind him into this thing. It is, it is both the stupidest thing that happens in any of these episodes for this uh, for this installment of the podcast, but also perhaps the most brilliant because I do, I do kind of love it. I'd, I'd also like to imagine that this is somehow like the progenitor of like what became the the rock lords which was the entire like toy line that were basically just robots that turned into rocks which always seemed like the most boring <laughs> toy line ever they got a crossover film with the gobots which was also terrible um but you know I, m maybe this was where it all began somebody watched this and was like that's brilliant what if the robots turned into boulders or a guy in the writer's room was working on that film I mean, you never know. You never know. Maybe. So as mentioned, they are all, basically, they're all able to sneak inside. They rescue Chip and then quite literally roll up a set of stairs to escape. But Megatron is already harnessing the antimatter energon cubes. Because, you know, we've re we've reached episode uh, episode five we're on now, Andy. And we're already harnessing even more powerful things than previously seen. Yeah, I mean, again, much like adding space to the front of words, it makes them sound cooler. Using antimatter in anything is also just like catnip for a kid of like, oh, wow, antimatter, that's like, that's serious stuff. Once outside, it's now Prime's turn to join in the action. He quite literally forces his way past Rumble, just drives through the wall, and just, just blows him out of the way, as it were. And then, uh, so in his trailer... He has a bunch of his fellow colleagues to go in. I can't remember exactly which Autobots it were, but basically they were all inside the trailer when Prime just rammed through the wall and just steamrolled past Rumble. And then they all go inside to take on Megatron, but Megatron now demonstrates the power of the antimatter energon cube by letting one of the cubes explode, <laughs> wasting that great energy he's just suddenly harnessed. 
and there is a giant explosion in the building. Once we come back from an ad break, the Autobots emerge from the somehow still standing building, but we won't question that. And also, Andy, I won't question this too much, coughing and spluttering from the smoke. Just saying it like it is, with Prime directing them to return to base for repairs. Inside, Megatron is all but salivating at the prospect of ending the Autobots with the antimatter energon. Once the Autobots arrive back at their own HQ, they arrive back with spark plugs saying that they all look like guests of honor at a 50-car pileup. I like that line. <laughs> that is a very good line, yeah. Chip is beating himself up mentally about what happened, i.e. the fact that, you know, he had the information extracted from his brain by a space robot. You know, cut yourself some slack there, buddy. <laughs> but Wheeljack offers some comforting words and says that he and Spike can help him on a project that he is working on. We get a brief look back at the Decepticons leading to the Energon... Uh, sorry, leading to Energon cubes being loaded on the Seeker jets before they head off. So there's a lot to unpack there. I've just sort of steamrolled there over Andy. But again, th th there's a lot going on here. The Autobots apparently like suffer from smoke inhalation as well. It's a very interesting character note to, to make mention of. And yeah, just a lot going on. I'm just surprised that building didn't fall down. And the fact that Megatron wasted one of the antimatter Energon cubes. I'm sure Starscream will question his actions when he finds out about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess... I guess the justification is if he thought he had that much energy and that much power, then ah, who cares if you waste one? Um, but I mean, I, I do like having kind of like criticized a lot of the decision making in previous episodes. And despite parts of the plan being incredibly like dumb yet somehow working, I kind of like broadly speaking how well executed the Autobots plan is at mm. that point. Like they kind of, you know, it, it at least feels like a moment where they've kind of got it together and they've actually got a good kind of, you know, strategy that has had some thought put into it, which, you know, compared to the previous episodes, like, let's go into this cave that is clearly a trap, is, is a very definite step up for them. This is when Prime clearly pulled out, like, he put his A-game, like... Yeah, absolutely. He had his game face, I was like, no, we're going to make this work. Here's my plan. <laughs> At the Autobot base, Teletran 1 picks up the Decepticons near the base. He picks them up on the scanners, prompting Cliffjumper, and I've written down Brawn, but I think that's incorrect, to meet the Decepticons head-on, attacking Thundercracker and Skywarp. But Starscream is ultimately the one to stop their attack. Uh, their Jet Judo, as Brawn puts it, needs some more work. Outside the base, the battle is now in full effect, with Megatron and Starscream seemingly absorbing the power of the antimatter energon to superpower their own attacks, more specifically Megatron's, uh, to put the Autobots on the back foot. Wheeljack's plan, though, is now in motion, with Spike and Chip managing to distract Skywarp long enough to plant a device on his leg to allow Teletran 1 to take control of him and attack his fellow Decepticon comrades. At the same time, Megatron's antimatter energon is reaching ignition temperature. So he ejects the multiple cubes that were stored inside his chest and they promptly explode in the path of the Decepticons, forcing them to retreat due to their injuries. Chip is now regarded as a hero by the Autobots and is officially welcomed into the fold as a friend of the Autobots, with Megatron vowing as the episode draws to a close that he will get victory. A lot going on there, Andy, but I also like the fact that they just randomly threw in that these antimatter energon cubes have ignition temperature. 
Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, like every everything has a boiling point, so I guess you know, again, that that makes scientific sense. So I'll I'll, I'll give them that, and I, I do also enjoy like the continuity of following through on like what Chip does with Prowl and being like, ah, that's actually a good idea. Like much much like the the pilot episodes of, of kind of you know the whole, you know, um the whole kind of like you know Megatron Mirage thing being kind of a plan that, that came up sort of ad hoc from something mm. somebody else had done. Like I, I I quite enjoyed that. Like again, as implausible as them pulling all of that together in such a short time frame is, is kind of it, it's a nice little bit of kind of like circular writing to come back to that and kind of reuse it in a different way towards the end of the episode yeah i, I also also want to sum this up I, 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 even though like the ignition temperature thing did kind of make me go oh that's your out for the episode is it all right i like the fact that they kind of won up the decepticons from the last episode when they took control of bumblebee effectively and instead yeah. they used teletram one to take over a decepticon it's like who came up with that? Like, we're, we're, who, who thought that as an idea? Well, clearly, yeah. Wheeljack it, it, was his plan, but... Yeah, and it's it's inevitably one of those questions, like, well, why didn't you just use that every week from now on? <laughs> like, <laughs> why, why didn't you always just... Why didn't you just take control of Megatron? Like, you know, this this would all be so much easier if you just, like, kept using the, the good strategy that you've had. But no, of course, we can't do that because, you know, that's not how these cartoons work. Yeah. It, it, overall, uh, again... It's again th these first two episodes. I was coming in. I was a bit lukewarm on them, to say the least. They are. I have. I actually did enjoy them more going back over them, like in great detail, like this. They are. They are pretty solid episodes, in fairness. But, but yeah. Uh, any other closing thoughts on that episode before we move on to the next episode? Yeah, I I, I have a little Easter egg for you that you may or may not have spotted. Oh, go on. There is a point in like the second half of that episode. I think it's when the the Autobots are kind of you know they transform and, and roll out to Chip's house. Did you see he was sat in um, the driver's seat of Bumblebee? I don't know. Did I? It, it looks a lot like Shaggy from Scooby Doo. <laughs> what? And the reason for that is that this episode was written by Douglas Booth, who is best known as one of the main writers on Scooby-Doo. And I believe that that is a little homage to uh, to like his main writing gig or his best known writing gig that they kind of somehow managed to jam what looks like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo into a few frames of Transformers just to, to, to square that circle. Or his long lost cousin Shoggy or something. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things you look at it and like, is that another animation error? Because there are a lot of them in this show. But it's like, it looks too much like, you know, hair, hairstyle, hair colour looks far too much like Shaggy for that not to be uh, an Easter egg. So, uh, so yeah, that, that was a, a weird little thing of just like, ah, that's kind of cool. I didn't know, so I'm going to go back and look at that. <laughs> but from there, we move on to episode six, Divide and Conquer. The episode begins with us panning across a factory, and then we are taken inside with the deep voice narrator saying, Factories are busy manufacturing weapons to be used against the greatest threat the world has ever known. Evil, super-powerful robots. Decepticons. And as his soliloquy concludes, we see a poster of Megatron on the wall, a pretty tattered poster, it's got to be said, with just a big yellow sticker over the... Megatron's chest that just says enemy on it. <laughs> yeah, ju just in case like these people working in this factory, some of whom had probably been transferred from the last factory that the Decepticons attacked, you know, just in case they'd forgotten who the baddies <laughs> were in this show. Like, yeah, just the enemy. 
like thanks that's very very useful it's an interesting point though could that, in terms of just like world building the fact now that like the earth are helping the autobots trying to like fight the decepticons that, that's a pretty big plot point the fact that they're trying to help them manufacture weapons though i do hope they're trying to manufacture weapons t- to autobot scale otherwise you know this, this might be a bit awkward yeah, well, I mean, I guess, you know, maybe the humans need weapons against the Autobots as well. Again, this is a really interesting sort of divergence from where, like, the, the comics go way deeper into this because, you know, there's the, the Autobots kind of try to get, like, you know, human help and say, like, look, we're the good guys, they're the bad guys, but the humans are always just like, no, you're all just, like, big, clunky robots with big guns. We don't trust any of you. Um, there's a whole little story in... I think it's like the first Transformers annual that came out that involves Optimus Prime meeting Ronald Reagan, like actual Ronald Reagan, um, and trying to kind of like broker a deal um, to be like, look, you know, we're, we're, we're on, on the, the side of good here. We're trying to protect you. We're trying to help you. And they almost reach a deal. And then I think it's like Bombshell kind of uses his like neuro bomb thing to take control of an Autobot and cause a bunch of, of chaos and so at the end it's just like Ronald Reagan of like all of them must be destroyed and that's like the end of the comic um, but yeah so this is kind of like a little bit different in terms of like oh no the Autobots have actually got people on side and they're kind of you know they're, they're, they're willing to fight the Decepticons alongside them which again I feel like is not a theme that recurs through this show it's very much just kind of gets dropped in here but it is still an, an interesting little, little point anyway I really thought you were going to say that they took over Ronald Reagan and he wreaked havoc. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, our new Autobot ally Chip is inside said factory with a scientist who is asking Chip to have a look at their systems to help improve the overall efficiency of their manufacturing, cutting down the manufacturing time. But almost exactly on cue, the Seeker jets attack the base, blowing a giant hole in the side to gain entry. After a quick scuffle where the humans literally have no chance in the world, the group led by Starscream, who are intending to raid the factory of its energy, sound familiar, everybody, and put it into Energon Cubes, uh, cue Soundwave to arrive and start producing said Energon Cubes from his chest. The scientist with Chip thinks all is lost, but Chip isn't one to give up so easily as he begins tapping away frantically on the keyboard in front of him. We cut to Autobot HQ, uh, inside the Ark specifically, where a group inside are in contact with Optimus Prime via Teletran 1, asking if he is determined where the location of the next Decepticon space bridge will show up. Optimus says he's had no luck after scanning the area where the original one first appeared. Spike, who is with Prime, suggests heading back to HQ, but Prime suddenly picks up a distress signal from Chip, prompting everyone to mobilize and head to that very munitions factory. Quick point of note there, Andy. This is the first time they've implied that the space bridge can move. (laughs) Just just almost at random. Which then makes you wonder, based on the last episode, was that in a different desert? Yeah, I mean, it is quite possible, yeah, because that sort of... Maybe that was still the original space bridge. Maybe it wasn't. It's it's very it's very unclear. Um, and I suspect nobody writing this show probably really cared where the space bridge was until it was important for them not to be able to find the space bridge. So, you know, that's just the the, the way it goes. Back at the factory, the Decepticons have got a boatload of energon cubes, combining quote unquote 
every last spark of micro energy that they could wring from the place, according to Skywarp. Uh, and they're ready to remove it, but not before mission leader Starscream contacts Megatron, because that's what he referred to himself by. That's why I said it like that. Uh, to report a complete success of the plan, Megatron orders Starscream to return to base with them as he is awaiting coordinates of the new location of the space bridge. But Starscream, not mincing words, was about to demand praise for his work from Megatron when Prime rolls through the stack of Energon cubes. We now have a three-on-one battle against Prime, as Megatron has ordered to do... Uh, sorry, we now have a three-on-one battle against Prime, and Megatron has ordered them to fight him in a three-on-one manner, even though the Seekers, they readily admit, would much prefer fighting them, fighting him, rather, one-on-one. In the melee of the encounter, the factory's computer near Chip and the scientist takes a big hit from Prime's gun, but Prime leaps in to shield them from the blast, as Prime is stunned from this huge explosion, the Seekers take the opportunity to continue their three-on-one attack, pummeling him with lasers, with Prime ultimately being downed. Reinforcements have nearly arrived, but the Seekers in the area are ordered to not engage with them, and instead they head back to base with the Energon. The Autobots, re the Autobots reinforcements have now arrived. Prime is... He ain't doing good, people. That's the easy way to sum it up. He's losing energy rapidly and is giving off a tremendous amount of heat as well from the damage. You can see that because it kind of looks like steam is coming out and whatnot. And when they sort of cut to, to shots of specific Autobots, you can see that thing of like heat vapors and whatnot clouding them. Prime pleads with Wheeljack to try and repair him. The next cutaway sees Prime, we assume having been worked on by Wheeljack, able to transform but kind of, but still needs some part replacements and essential ones at that, as he has limited mobility. The convoy of Autobots are heading back to base, with Chip and Spike riding in Bumblebee, both very concerned. So, in today's instance of Optimus Prime's nearly dead... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, this is, yeah, like, this this is the one that really stands out out of these episodes, because, yeah, like, this, this isn't even the worst of it for him. So it, it, it goes downhill further. The, the thing that really stuck out to me about this whole thing is throughout this series thus far, we've seen and had multiple demonstrations of how volatile Energon is and how mm -hmm. it will explode with, you know, any real amount of impact or blast damage or whatever. Like Energon cubes blow up a lot in this show. And then suddenly Optimus Prime just drives through a load of them. It's like, I mean, it's kind of... It's kind of like he was asking for trouble in this episode because, you know, that's his sort of opening gambit. But so I just drive through all this energy on. I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, so there, there, there's a weird plot inconsistency moment because like, had that been anybody else, that would have blown up. Uh, the other thing, I, I'm annoyed because I didn't note down who said it. I think it was maybe Rumble, but I did enjoy the line, humans run funny, don't they? Um, <laughs> one of the Decepticons yeah. said, which was a really kind of weird, like compared we've had, you know, sort of like flesh creature and all of the usual kind of like Decepticons sort of needling at humans, but like humans run funny. It's like, well, did you see Sandwave in the last episode? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's running funny. Um, but I, I, I find that amusing as a really kind of like low rent insult at humans. Uh, there, are, there are some great. There is a great low rent insult coming that I have got written down. I can't remember if it's in this episode or the next one, but there is the the, the best low rent insult coming though. So don't you worry about that. Yeah, I really, 
really liked how Prime just got in the way of the big explosion and just literally took one for the team, quite frankly. This this episode as a whole, I really like... This is a weird thing to say, because I really like Prime as a character, but I really like the fact that Prime was pretty much rendered useless at one point and that he couldn't be a big part player, as we're going to get onto in a few moments. But seeing the way that he couldn't be a big part player in this episode to, to a degree. I just really like that it demonstrated it takes a heck of a lot to put him down. Yeah, yeah, th there's quite a lot to kind of to, to unpack with that because, yeah, like, first of all, this is sort of probably the best example this series has had thus far of kind of like, you know, Optimus Prime as selfless leader and kind of, you know, whether it's saving, you know, his fellow Autobots or humans, like, he will put himself in mortal danger to do it. And like this is a really good sort of good strong moment of that of just you know heat of the moment, no hesitation, just like no, I'll I'll take I'll take the blow for this one just to make sure nobody else gets hurt. Um, and yeah, it, it kind of leads into quite a good episode because it does sort of it, it does put the Autobots in like a sticky situation, and there is kind of like you know a good narrative arc around that of like well. We're screwed without Optimus Prime through to ultimately like, well, I guess, you know, we've got to at least try and do something, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it actually like serves a good story purpose. It's not just to like make Optimus Prime look cool and noble. Like it actually is a fundamental part of this episode. Mm. The Seekers have now arrived at their Decepticon underwater HQ. And Starscream says that Prime is done. We saw him fall. But Megatron wants proof that his laser core, which I think is the first time we've had that phrase specifically used, he wants proof that that has been extinguished. He then tasks Laserbeak, who seems reluctant to take on this mission, admittedly, which is the first time I think we've seen any Decepticon barring Starscream kind of show any reluctance in this way. But he is tasked to go to Autobot HQ and learn of the true condition of Optimus Prime. It's a very interesting scene, this one, because I, I totally forgot that Laserbeak even ever did this as a thing. Yeah, which is a, it's a surprising thing to forget because it's really quite brutal in the end. Um, I do feel at this point, I don't know why they don't just constantly station Laserbeak inside the arc because like every episode is just like, send Laserbeak out to spy on them. It's like, you might as well just like set up a nest in there and just, just stick around because the Autobots never notice him even when he lands on somebody's shoulder as a tape to get in the building. <laughs> We're getting um, to that. Which, we are yeah, getting which, to that. Which like. we will get to. But it's like, it's always like... Laser beak. I mean, I mean, I, I, I have like my own little like peccadillo here that I get really annoyed. It's always Rumble and Laserbeak and never Buzzsaw and Frenzy. Like, what about the other two tapes? Let them have a go. They're both kind of cool as well. So, are they? I appreciate this is jumping forward quite far at this point, but are they actually in season one or are they like a season two add-on? I mean, they may they maybe get used, but I mean, in terms of like the toy line, they were certainly all around at the same time. I mean, Buzzsaw mm. is just a kind of like alternate model of Laserbeak, really, and yeah, Frenzy is basically like an alternate of Rumble, but he uses like sonic waves and not the cool mm. pile driver hands. But it's like you know, they're both like Rumble in particular is is uh, Frenzy in particular, like you know, gets quite a lot of play in in the comics because you know you can do fun stuff with his kind of like sonic powers but i i just yeah that, that, that's person that, that is purely my like personal like i like those characters too why do you never use them it's not mm. fair so i i don't think we've seen them at all yet which is why i'm wondering Ooh, if they've just not weird. actually been introduced yet 
No, we we have not. I mean, even like you know, characters like kind of Gears, you know, got a very brief cameo in an episode here, but there's there's nothing of, of Buzzsaw and Frenzy. But uh, but mm. hey. So at Autobot HQ, as as you've alluded to, let's just talk about this as it is. Laserbeak somehow flies in undetected and ends up transforming into his cassette form and just lands on an Autobot shoulder to gain entry into the room. I'll just call it the infirmary, for want of a better word, where Prime is being worked on. And then once inside, Laserbeak transforms, sits on a high rock, because you know, he now he's transformed off of the shoulder that he was just on as a cassette, and then flies onto like a high rock, broadcasts a signal back to, to Decepticon HQ so they can show what's going on. Megatron sees what's going on, is pleased with what he sees. But then, with Prime being worked on and Ratchet saying, oh, this looks bad and Prime is fading fast, and everyone's hopes are also fading fast, Megatron gives the order for Laserbeak to finish him off. And he swoops down and fires a laser at Prime's chest, leading to an explosion. This is quite the scene, Andy, and we'll get on to like, what Laserbeak like, did in terms of to Prime in a moment. But the whole thing about landing on an Autobot's shoulder, we had like Fumblebee in the last episode. This is the fumblebee moment of this episode. Yeah, it's yeah, it is. It is crazy. Like it, it makes very little sense. I mean, the, the 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 only excuse I can think of is that Braun has so many chips on his shoulder that he didn't notice the laser beak was on there as well. Um, but yeah, it's just you know, it, it, it's also kind of weird in more general sense because we've seen both kind of Ravage and Laserbeak as sort of like masters of stealth, and it's like that's not being a master of stealth. Like, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of half surprised that Spike didn't say like, oh, there's a tape on your shoulder. Like somebody must have left it there and just like bring it in with him. Um, like even that would probably have made more sense than just the fact that like, oh, yeah, that's just that's just your natural way of getting in. So, yeah, again, I'm putting that down to another Friday afternoon in the writer's room of like, how do we get Laserbeak <laughs> into the arc? It's like, oh, and he just lands on someone's shoulder it's like, that doesn't make any sense. What if he turned into a tape and did it? Like, yeah, sure, okay, let's go down the pub. Well, you can bet the actual reaction was like was something along the lines of, what if he turned into a tape and landed on his shoulder? And it's just kind of like a slight awkward pause, and they just go, that'll do. Yeah, like, oh, it's, <laughs> it's five o'clock. Yeah, <laughs> great. Job done. But, uh, but as for, for, for Laserbeak just attacking Prime. This was brutal, but it was a great scene and just shows how deadly Laserbeak can be. Yeah, well, and, and also just, like, like, how how villainous the Decepticons are. Like, you know, again, it's sort of that typical sort of cartoon thing where often the baddies don't feel all that evil because they're either so incompetent or you have those moments. Like, th this would sort of be the, the kind of thing where normally, you know, you'd have some kind of monologuing or something to avoid the obvious, like, this is the chance to finish off your, like, you know, your, your, your biggest rival. But none of that here. It's just like Megatron straight away, just like, nope, finish him. You've got to, you've got to end it now. And yeah, like, I mean, never mind Optimus Prime death scene in Transformers the movie. Like, imagine if this had been that scene in the film <laughs> of just like, I might be all right. And then Laserbeak just comes along and just kind of unloads and basically blows him to bits. And it's, it's almost, it's like, almost like the equivalent of a Mortal Kombat finisher moment. Just like, finish yeah. him. It, it is kind of, yeah, it does feel like a fatality. 
It's kind of like, you know, for a kid's cartoon, it's like, man, like, you know, I, I honestly, I don't recall ever kind of like watching this particular episode when I was a kid. And I kind of wish that I either had or I could remember doing it because I want to know what like five, six year old me would have made of that moment. Like, especially because that that's kind of like your sort of cliffhanger sort of cut to commercial moment. of just like, <gasps> what the hell? Is there ever an instance where, like, a Transformers episode maybe was taken out of, like, syndication or repeat broadcasting? No, I, I don't think it's ever done anything kind of, you know, that that sort of atrocious. And, and even this, you know, it is it is kind of cartoon violence and it does kind of, you know, make clear, you know, what, what happens not long after that. So I guess it's, it's fine. I, I, I also have a note here because I, I can't remember where it happened in context, but I also have a note that there was a moment where Spike just said nuts to that, and I can't remember why. <laughs> but that I just remember it was it was funny at the time. I mean, we're coming up to my favorite line from Spark Plug in a second in a second. So, uh, but on that note, let, let's continue here. So after the commercial that you just mentioned, Prime is somehow still just about functioning after that explosion and attack from Laserbeak, to which Spark Plug has the fantastic line: "They just don't build them like that anymore." <laughs> yeah. I, again, just done. I was done at that point. I had to hit pause. Yeah. Uh, again, shame he wasn't around for the, the, the death scene in Transformers the movie to say exactly that line. Because <laughs> that would add some real gravitas to it. So Ratchet and Wheeljack determined that they need to replace the Cosmotron, which Wheeljack seemingly has another one of, on Cybertron, in his old workshop. But to make it even harder to get in there, the Decepticons have put a computerized lock on the door to said workshop. Now, Huffer, which I'm pretty sure is the first time we see Huffer, at least in a speaking capacity, is just consistently throwing out lines of existential dread at the situation. And Chip is all but is sorry, Chip is all but volunteered by Ironhide to do some lock picking on Cybertron. And Chip is up for the challenge. What does this mean? It means we then go back to Decepticon HQ. Starscream doesn't understand why Megatron just doesn't give the order to finish off the Autobots now. But Megatron's saying that they'll do it when he says so. But not before contacting Shockwave to ask of the Space Bridge's whereabouts. Shockwave says it'll be ready in 72 billion astroseconds. <laughs> We're getting a lot of different numbers in this episode today. And based on a visual representation on screen, it's apparently just going to appear in a forest. Which I did laugh at because Megatron was given the coordinates and he just said, visual representation. And then just a tree appeared. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> at Autobot HQ, Chip is inputting data on the previous space bridge into the greatest detective, as he called it, Teletran 1, to help ascertain where the space bridge will appear next. Quote, unquote. Just like Sherlock Holmes with floppy disks, says Spike with regard to the idea of finding out where the bridge will be in this way. We then cut to the space bridge location, with Starscream, Reflexor, and Rumble loading up the ship that will be taking the trip. But Starscream isn't happy with Rumble's handling of the cubes, leading to some choice words between the two. Starscream once again laments how he should, be lead how he should just be leader, and how his talents are wasted on this project. And as Rumble rightly points out, they actually need a driver for the ship, based on, you know, the previous episodes where there have been drivers needed to actually get to Cybertron. And Starscream, Starscream just throws Reflexor, well, 
We'll come back to that in a second, Andy. I think it's Reflector into the ship and the way it goes safely arriving on Cybertron. So before we just kind of talk about the various things we just saw a few moments ago, was that actually Reflector? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, the, it was one of the three reflectors, I guess, because like you know, reflector mm. is effectively three people. Which again, that's a poor strategic move because I assume reflector can't turn into like a Polaroid camera if there's only two thirds of them, mm. which thus makes the other two that you're leaving on Earth useless. But anyway, I mean, to to to, to be fair, to balance it out, when Starscream does ask Megatron, like, why don't we just attack now? He has a very good point. Mm -hmm. Like Optimus Prime is, as far as they know, dead, but like pretty much there anyway this is a perfect chance to you know press home the advantage and not really a good time for megatron to be a bit sulky that starscream's had a good idea and say no you know this is my choice so you know plus one for starscream for actually having the right solution to this issue at that particular moment in time <laughs> and, uh, any other thoughts regarding anything else that occurred leading up to that like the idea of going to cybertron i think was pretty damn cool when it came up as a concept yeah, weirdly, I thought that this like happened sort of in the way that it did for the first time later in this season. So I was like, oh, okay, this happens in this episode. And it's sort of, I kind of wish it, it had a bit more time to put into it on this occasion. Um, but yeah, there, there's 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 some some more good like journey to Cybertron stuff coming up, if I recall. But uh, yeah, like it's it, again, it's it's the real benefit of having that whole kind of space bridge plot point is that it does allow for those kind of you know those bounces back and forth. Um, if if the plot needs it, and yeah, this is quite a good excuse to to, to get back there. Mm. From there, we go to Ironhide, Bumblebee with Chip inside, Trailbreaker, and I've written down Prowl, but I think it might be Blue Streak. Correct me if you yeah. think on that. I think I think it maybe was Blue Streak. I, I, if, if nothing else, I remember being surprised at how much Blue Streak there are in these episodes. So <laughs> it would make sense if it was him. They arrive and begin fighting in a giant rainstorm, mind you, which in itself is a pretty cool visual. And even though they have the upper hand, thanks, even though the Decepticons have the upper hand, thanks to Reflector's flashlight from his from the camera part of his personnel, of the three of them, whichever one's got like the camera flash, they shone that and just blinded the Autobots. But despite having the advantage, Megatron tells them to throw the fight, allowing the Autobots to use the space bridge to go to Cybertron. At their destination, they have a quick fight with Shockwave, but Ironhide literally uses some liquid nitrogen sitting on a wall. <laughs> because apparently liquid nitrogen is a thing on Cybertron. We'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, to blast a hole through the door and escape, but not before using his cement functionality, which I think is the first time we've seen him use this in the show at all, Andy, to stick Shockwave and, and one of the reflectors to the ground inside the lab. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't think we've seen him use the kind of the, the whole glue gun side of things before. Um, but yeah, like I, th that liquid nitrogen is there like a fire extinguisher, and that doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> but I'm sure maybe on Cybertron there must be like you know in this very specific emergency you'll need a canister of liquid nitrogen to deal with the problem. Like maybe it's if you like get trapped and just need to like randomly make a hole in the wall, then that's what it's there for. But I don't know. Again, it's one of those real kind of pseudoscience of like, what's a, like a compound that sounds cool? Oh, liquid nitrogen. That sounds really like important and powerful. So there you go. There's just a canister of liquid nitrogen. There. <laughs> the other thing that's interesting to note is now that they've gone to Cybertron with Chip, it clearly means there is an atmosphere on Cybertron. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah. There, there, there seems to be no concern, which again is sort of, I guess, I guess maybe it's not that weird, but it's certainly unnecessary for Cyberpunk. Although, again, I mean, we had the Transformers like you know coughing on smoke and stuff, so I guess maybe they just breathe. I don't know, and, and I mean, I guess like I'm, I'm really thinking about this way too much now. But like, there there, there are occasions within this cartoon where you know, carry, where where Autobots and Decepticons try to choke each other out. So maybe they do just breathe. Maybe they just breathe. Maybe Megatron sends then sorry sends a message to Cybertron to make it known that their defenses have been breached and for Rain Acid Rain to take care of this, leading to three Seekers that we have not seen before taking to the sky now andy far as i can tell their names are never explicitly mentioned but do you happen to know the names of the three seekers that appear um no it's kind of confusing because there is supposedly like a seeker called sunspot that is but that is not the yellow um seeker that appears in this episode apparently and i think I think the other two maybe do have names, but yeah, there there, there are some some weird kind of like seekers that are uh, canon and official, and I think kind of get used relatively regularly as kind of like additional jets if they need them. Mm. Um, and so yeah, there there are some named ones, but I think the bright yellow one here like does not actually have a name at least. And then there was also like a, a fluorescent green one as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that maybe is one of the ones that has, has a name, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what it is. Mm. The Autobots arrive at the workshop, which just a sidebar here. I'm kind of disappointed they didn't drive, or we did, didn't see more of Cybertron, or even Chip just reacting to it, because this is the first time you know Chip, any human as far as we're aware, has gone to Cybertron, and I think yeah. it would have just been cool just to have had almost like, even just like a couple of cutaways of just them zooming through Cybertron, Chip just going, wow, like this is Cybertron. Just actually really yeah. hammering home. We're on freaking Cybertron. Uh, well, I mean, especially for Chip, who is kind of like, you know, has has a clear sort of interest in all this stuff and in science and that, you know, you'd, you'd think he, he'd be a little more interested in, yeah, like being the first person on an entirely new planet. But uh, yeah, it kind of, it, that that passes by really with without mention. And also as well, the fact is like, the the Autobots that are in this, this, this group, if you will, that have gone back there, this is the first time they've gone back for four million years, even though they were asleep for most of it. Like, there is also an element of there was no reaction of them going, wow, like, we're home. Like, yeah, like, yeah. You, 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 could, you could just stay. <laughs> like, you could just say, like, hey, we're, let's, let's just stick around here. Which, yeah, again, is sort of, you know, uh, a weird thing, like, especially when you've got characters like Ironhide who are, like, old-timers who you think maybe would just be like, nah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done here. But I guess, you know, a 20-minute 20, 20 episode is, is maybe not enough time to delve into that stuff. But you, you would have thought you'd have something, some mm. kind of comment, but, but clearly not. So they get to the laboratory and Chip is able to bypass the security lock, leading to Ironhide to find the Cosmotron incredibly quickly, it must be said as well. The Seeker jets that we mentioned then arrive and they cause acid rain, literally acid rain, by firing their lasers into the Cybertron clouds in the sky. The Autobots are greatly affected by this and are not able to continue moving whatsoever. 
With the four Autobots stuck on Cybertron in an acid rainstorm and primed down at Decepticon HQ, Starscream suggests attacking the Autobots, of which, quote unquote, for once, Starscream, I agree, says Megatron. <laughs> at Autobot HQ, Wheeljack makes it known to start to spark plug, excuse me. They've done all they can, and if they don't get the new Cosmotron soon, all hope is lost. At this moment, the Decepticons start heading towards the Autobot base. Back on Cybertron, the acid rainstorm continues, with Chip completely unaffected. Whether we'll talk about that again or not in a second is another thing, Andy, but, you know, acid rain, I'm not going to question it. <laughs> and he is trying to, to will the Autobots to continue. But Bumblebee is trying to explain in a really slow way because their circuitry has been affected, that no one's ever really... Sorry, their circuitry has been affected by this. And so because of that, Bumblebee's responding to Chip, but in a very slow and stilted manner. But then Chip says the line of dialogue, no one's ever really disabled as long as he has courage. Which I think that was a fantastic line of dialogue, Andy, especially with Chip saying it as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think like in, in the initial moment, I kind of I, I lost sight of the context of who was saying that line because there, there, there is kind of like if in that situation where like you know these Autobots are, are, are pretty much you know in a pretty sticky situation, they're like oh you just you know you, you just need courage. Kind kind of felt like a bit of a bit of a pylon to them, um, but yeah, like it does actually kind of in that context, it does it does work quite well. Um, and I did, I did just really enjoy like the visual effect of the acid rain as well. Like that actually looks really cool in this episode. And and, and again, a reminder: this is the mid '80s where the idea of acid rain was very much ripped from the headlines. Like you know, this was when people started talking about this stuff as a big thing of like, oh, you know, kind of early sort of climate change discussion like people realizing that aerosols and things were bad but like i remember acid rain suddenly becoming this big talking point like you know during the 80s so it's clearly that was just a kind of something that stuck with somebody of like ah we can use this as an interesting plot device here yeah and like you mentioned about how the rain looked it was it was red rain but occasionally on, on some shots they almost made it look like a weird fuzz around the rain or almost like there was kind of like some vhs tracking issue on it it just it looked really striking and really cool yeah yeah it's, it's one of those kind of like you know really cool kind of like cell animation effects where you can do really interesting things with layers of cells and you know it's uh you can do lots of interesting things with digital but there's something about the way that looks in cell animation that is kind of particularly cool and, and eye-catching so that rallying call that, that Chip just said, it somehow wills the Autobots, with Trailbreaker able to, to generate enough power to create a force shield of sorts to block them from the rain. With their automatic repair functions now in play, Blue Streak, or Prowl, whichever it is, I think we said Blue Streak in the end, uses his guns to be rid of the clouds, and the group transform and continue on their journey back to Earth. They arrive at Shockwave's lab and manage to get back into the bridge as Shockwave is hitting them with lasers, it must be said. Once they're on Earth, they rush back to HQ, where all seems lost, But and Spike coming to terms with the fact that quite literally he says Optimus Prime is about to die, when all of a sudden the Decepticons are picked up on the radar. Spike, in the heat of the moment, manages to rally the remaining Autobots to go down fighting, with Huffer now being brave and bold and leading them into battle as well. It should also be said that at this point, with the fight ensuing, 
Spike is doing surprisingly well in the battle because he was the one that decided to pick up an Autobot handgun and carry it with him outside. <laughs> the thing that is like double the life-sized, like life-sized to Spike, but like body size as it were. And then it's just like double him. It, it was quite an impressive thing. And the Decepticons are overpowering and outnumbering them, but they're still fighting. But Starscream is concerned with how much energy they are expelling. Leading, excuse me, to Megatron to enter his handgun form. At this point, the returning Cybertron party arrive, and they try and even up the fight for a few minutes. But Bumblebee, Chip, and Spike head inside and deliver the Cosmotron, leading to Prime to make a grand return and answering a battle challenge issued by Megatron moments earlier outside, when it looked like all was said and done for the Autobot. Starscream taking subtle joy in the fact that, uh, that the code that Megatron, that the challenge, sorry, the code of the challenge that Megatron issued basically decrees that he must answer whoever says that they will take, that they will, uh, he must, hang on, phrasing here, I'm, I'm getting my words confused. Megatron issued the challenge. Whoever answers it, Megatron must fight. There you go. Got there in the end, Mandy. And so Starscream is taking great joy in this because he was supposed to say, and you must fight him alone <laughs> so I'll, I'll give a moment just to analyze a lot of that any notes on what we've just said there that you wanted to convey even like spike handling an autobot handgun yeah well i mean that kind of like made me think back like there's a, a shot in transformers the movie where like rumble is really struggling to carry like megatron's uh cannon like back to astro train when they escape but it's like if another transformer is really struggling with that how is spike just like picking this up and you know managing to do it it probably doesn't make sense but again maybe he was in his, in his bike superhuman form that can run as fast as a car and and throw rocks and i, I mean let's not forget you know he was he was like removing rocks to free hound a few episodes ago like spike spike is working out spike is spending some serious gym time when he's off camera that's that's my theory at this point because it's the only thing that can explain it um but i think there's there's also a point i think it's like during this segment where bumblebee uses the phrase hold on to your teeth which is <laughs> I think a great piece of writing of like a transformer trying to use kind of like you know earth language and not really understanding it which I'm I'm really I'm really here for um so that's really good I think it's also Bumblebee that says roll for it at some time which is like you're supposed to have said that in the episode called Roll For It so that you can like actually name the title in the episode. You, you've come in like two episodes late here, but never mind. No one said the phrase divide and conquer yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So in the fight that I just alluded to, Prime is able to get the upper hand on Megatron as the Decepticon leader realizes he has used up too much energy and needs assistance. Of course, the closest comrade to him at this very point in time is Starscream, who says, quote unquote, how unfortunate. If you cannot fight your opponent yourself, then you are not fit to be our leader. I am on the only one suitable to be leader anyway. <laughs> at this point, Megatron tried to continue, but yields for now, leading to them retreating and the episode drawing to a close. It was a cool visual seeing the fight and whatnot and Starscream just taking such great joy in all of this. But there is an element where that did feel a little bit of a rushed ending. Like it kind of built up to this big thing and you almost wonder, kind of alluding earlier to when I said I wish they perhaps explored a bit more of Cybertron, 
this is an instance where I kind of almost wish this was a two-parter. Because I think they could have really done a lot with this to just expand on more details and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, and you can also, uh, I, I, I mean, maybe they would have got in trouble if they'd have had like the cliffhanger of part one being uh, Optimus Prime being blown to bits by Laserbeak. But like, you know, you, you've got a really good end of episode cliffhanger there. And then, yeah, you could have had the whole second episode being a bit more time exploring Cybertron and a bit more of a grand return for Optimus Prime at the end of that. Because mm -hmm. again, you know, not to compare everything here to Transformers the movie because it's not really fair, but like Optimus Prime's like grand entrance in the battle like early in that film is a really good example of like, you know, he comes in and completely turns the tide of a, a battle that's going south for the Autobots. And this feels like a very similar situation, but it doesn't have quite the same impact even just on a story level of being kind of quite as cool as it maybe should have been mm. another random note from the episode that i wanted to make note of is did starscream's voice just seem really weird in this episode to you there was definitely a point where i think i had a moment of just like wait have they used the wrong voice for starscream again or mm. what the, there was there was something a bit a bit strange there there was definitely at least one moment where i noticed that in my in my head so mm. yeah there was i think there was something a little bit a little bit off there we've got one more episode to get into everybody and that is episode seven sos dinobots and given we have nearly hit the two hour mark everybody we are gonna no pun intended, Andy. Roll through this one as quick as we can. But it is a good one, so I don't want to skip over a lot of detail. We begin at Autobot HQ, where there is talk of a strange earthquake and, like, shenanigans happening within the mountain where the Ark is embedded. With Ironhide quite logically assuming at this point, it's likely Rumble, or as he called him, that junk punk, <laughs> which I laughed as a line, uh, being the cause of this. Upon closer inspection... It's not actually Rumble, because Ironhide uses what he called a sonadar sensor to try and scan behind the walls. And basically, he said there's no Decepticons, and then he, on his uh, chest screen thing, his windshield, if you will, put up like a, an image, is the way to describe it, of what was behind there. And it looked very dinosaur-like, it has to be said. The Autobots then make a giant hole in the rocks and discover a cavern where there are dinosaur fossils. The Autobots, unfamiliar with what they are, are keen to learn more about them and enlist Spike to help teach them about what dinosaurs are. We then cut to a waterfall or hydroelectric plant, whichever way you want to call it, where Reflector and Soundwave are on reconnaissance and data collection. They learn about hydroelectricity thanks to a family discussing it and teaching their little boy what it's all about and determine that this valuable piece of information must be reported back to Megatron at once. We now cut to a museum where a punk rocker is taken back by the sight of Hound walking through the museum and simply has to utter the line, now that's what I call heavy metal. <laughs> then they go to an exhibit where Hound scans holograms of a brontosaurus fossil, triceratops, and T-Rex. This then cuts back to Autobot HQ, where the Autobots are now seeing a holographic projection of the dinosaurs in their natural habitat. And Spike describing to them, uh, describing the dinosaurs, that is, as being not very intelligent because of their tiny brains, but extremely powerful. Wheeljack then muses the thought of wishing that they had dinosaurs of their own to help against the Decepticons. Ratchet agreeing, and even saying, if it's okay with you, Prime, we could build some. And Prime thinks that this could be useful and gives them authorization to proceed with their project. 
A lot to unpack there in the early going, Andy, but I like the fact this was a very different start to the episode. And it was like, what's going on? And it's not Rumble. And they find the cavern and they find the fossils. And it is almost like a little bit of a learning tree when it comes to adding dinosaurs into the mix. But the idea as well that the Autobots are going to make their own Autobots, that's pretty cool. I really like that as a concept. And I genuinely forgot that's how the Dinobots came to be. Yeah, yeah. And and again, it's, it's sort of interesting in comparison to the comics where, like, as I mentioned about the whole creation matrix thing earlier, which is, you know, the comics introduce that from the get-go, I guess, in the knowledge that they're going to have to bring in, like, Dinobots, etc., etc., at some point. So they introduce that as this kind of, like, code in Optimus Prime's head that will allows him and only him to kind of give birth to new Transformers. Um, and of course, like the Decepticons steal it to make the Constructicons and et cetera, et cetera. And you have this back and forth. And I, I kind of, I'd forgotten that this kind of goes down a different route of just like, oh, we'll just build robots. And then kind of, you know, later on, they have to figure out some some other stuff around that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's kind of, it, it's an interesting way of kind of, you know, getting getting to that point of we need to introduce some new Transformers here. And, and here's, here's a decent way to do it. Um, I, I will question though that, Given that the Decepticons like invaded and took over a hydroelectric power plant in the pilot, how come they've forgotten how hydroelectric power <laughs> works? Because they knew about it, you know. I realize a few months have passed at this point, but like they've somehow like, oh my god, hydroelectric power. How did we not know about this? I'm like, yeah, how did you not know about this? Because you used a hydroelectric power plant to create a bunch of energy in the first few episodes. I mean, now to be fair, that was a dam. Yeah, but I mean, you know, that's the, my weak defense with the Decepticons. The, 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 the theory was the same, so there, there's definitely some <laughs> kind of like goldfish stuff going on with the, the Decepticons there. But uh, but oh, also oh. that that go on, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, also, also that, that heavy metal joke that, that you mentioned like is really the precursor to quite a few bad jokes in this episode. Like whoever, <laughs> whoever, was, whoever was writing this was having some fun with some of their comedy. Like I didn't even write down what some of them were, but I've definitely made a few notes about a couple of different Autobots making really bad jokes in this, in this installment. <laughs> I was going to mention that maybe because, you know, th th that initial pilot, it was at least at this point based on you know, continuity a couple of months ago. So maybe it's just been a long time since they've been to a hydro plant, you know? Yeah, cl clearly. But, uh, you know, I, I mean, you, you'd have thought that they, they might have remembered that given it was part of their initial master plan. But, uh, you know, again, as, as we have covered, not always, you know, the, the best at strategizing and, and remembering things either, as it turns out. <laughs> Back in the cave where the remains of the, of the dinosaurs were, the Autobots are gathering bones and parts and Teletram is calculating various things specifically on the three dinosaur types that Hounds scanned in the museum. Wheeljack is busy welding, which I've got to say, Andy, there was a lot of flashing lights in that scene. Flipping heck, that was bright and really quick. Yeah, yeah, again, yeah. Well, welcome to the 1980s before people started worrying about uh, about certain flashing light patterns. I mean, it is kind of interesting that it's still there and that they haven't kind of toned that down. Like maybe, maybe it's okay and within the, the bounds of, of the rules. But uh, yeah, I also had a moment of just like, hmm, this is... They wouldn't let you put this on TV now, probably. Yeah. I was watching this late at night with like the lights off conveniently, so it was like, ah, just in my eyes. <laughs> and, uh, and Sparkplug and Spike are working on blueprints for the creation of the Dinobots. 
at Decepticon HQ, having received the report about the hydropower, Megatron sees the potential of this endless energy source, and the Decepticons head out for conquest. Back at the Ark, Wheeljack introduces the Dinobots, three robots which generate a big reaction from his fellow Autobot comrades due to their sheer size compared to them. Wheeljack informs us that their names are Grimlock, Slag, and Sludge. He also makes it known to Prime that they have simple brains like real dinosaurs, but are working to improve on them. And we also get to see them transform into a T-Rex, Brontosaurus, and Triceratops, respectively, for the first time. But as Wheeljack is finishing the musings I just mentioned to Prime, suddenly the Triceratops attacks, uh, attacks Ratchet, excuse me, and Wheeljack, both of them. The Dinobots have now gone haywire, as Sparkplug says. And they wreak havoc inside the Ark with lasers simply bouncing off of them that the Autobots are firing. And no one is strong enough to be able to stop them physically. They are simply too powerful. Grimlock heads for the control room with Bumblebee and Spike, for some reason, inside, in hot pursuit. But they aren't able to make a difference as Grimlock fires a laser into Teletran 1 and the supercomputer explodes, bringing, bringing a commercial break into the fold. A lot going on there, but I... I loved this introduction scene for the Dinobots. Just the way everyone was really kind of like, okay, they, they're, they're, they're really impressive. And then they just go on the loose and they're too powerful. It really not only established if they were like on the side of the Autobots, they would easily help the Autobots now beat the Decepticons because they're that powerful, but also just they're now actually too strong and it's now become a problem what they've actually thought of it was a really really cool scene to see that happen yeah it's i, I think it's like one of the best things that that all the kind of forms of sort of g1 transformers does is with the dinobots because it is that double-edged sword of like they're incredibly strong but they're also incredibly stupid and more so in the comics they're also just incredibly self-centered kind of like grimlock almost becomes the star scream of the autobots because he always thinks he should be the leader because he's the strongest and you know that leads to some really interesting stuff like you know in the comics they kind of get banished um because you know they're just too much of a pain in the backside and it's like you know the that double-edged sword just tilts too far one way and so they just kind of get kicked to the curb but this is a really good succinct way of putting that across of like They've got immense power, but they're also kind of unmanageable and, you know, not always going to be kind of, you know, actually helpful or useful to you in, in in some situations. Yeah, it's just a really, really striking visual. I will say, obviously, there are more Dinobots to come in the future, but I, I forgot we only get three of them to begin with. Yeah, it, that, that is actually quite strange. Like, I, I would be interested to know, you know, that's one of those I'd love the inside track on, on why that was the case with this story. Because, yeah, you kind of miss out on uh, on um, Snarl and Swoop in, in this. And it's like, whether that was simply the those toys weren't ready or whether they weren't sure whether they were going to get them or whether it's a more kind of story-based concern of we can't introduce this many characters in one go. I don't know. But yeah, it is kind of weird that it's just a, a trio of them. And also, I think worth noting that eventually Slag is renamed to Slug, correct? I can't remember if it's actually in G1, but in other iterations, he's now Slug, right? 
I I I think he is now. Certainly, he was he was always he was always slag back in my day. Mm. Um, like I, I think I I think that was a change that that was maybe G two or maybe later on. Mm. Um, but but yeah, that that was kind of always his original name before I think somebody somewhere realized that maybe that's not the best name for your transformer <laughs> and decided that perhaps they should change it to something else. Which maybe slug is not really the best name for a transformer either for different reasons. But you know. <laughs> So after taking the brunt of that explosion from Teletran 1 I just mentioned, Bumblebee powers through and is able to distract Grimlock, leading him away so that Ratchet can start fixing Teletran 1. Sludge and Slag continue to wreak havoc when Prime gives the order that the Dinobots must be destroyed. Wheeljack has eventually, sorry, Wheeljack eventually has the quick idea of using his magnetic inducer to stop them. Why he didn't think of that earlier? Who knows? But this actually works and basically just makes them stop in their tracks. But despite him being able to stop them and pleading for Prime to let him continue working on them, Prime orders that they never be activated again as they are too dangerous. And the Dinobots are put inside the cavern where they emanated from originally and the cavern is sealed shut. At the hydro plant, the Decepticons arrive and the human germs, as Skywarp calls them, start to flee. The humans inside are trying to get hold of Sorry, yes. This is another thing, actually. I want to stop in my tracks because I've jumped ahead. So we've now also established in what I'm about to say that the humans are trying to contract Teletran 1, but they're getting no response because they don't know what's happened at the Autobot base. But this now implies that the humans now have a way of actually communicating with the Autobots to let them know there is trouble. I think that is a very key detail because I didn't remember again that that was a thing. Yeah, yeah, again, that sort of just gets thrown in there, sort of apropos of nothing, that again, it's it's sort of part of that same progression of, you know, the sort of human Autobot alliance is clearly still still going. So, uh, yeah, that, that is kind of uh, quite important. And, uh, yeah, k- kind of unfortunate that Teletrain 1 is, is otherwise unavailable hmm. for reasons. And uh, before I continue, did you want to add anything else about, like, the final scene involving the Dinobots I just mentioned? I think it's a weird bit of writing that like Optimus Prime who is sort of you know his his whole modus operandi is like protecting all sentient beings is just like now nah, just kill the Dinobots it's like because it's already been established that they have small brains but you know the the implication is that they still have brains they are still sentient and so it's kind of weird that he's just like now nah, just they need to be destroyed and even kind of locking them up that's again I think why I prefer like the comic continuity where they just get banished um, because that sort of feels like a more Optimus Prime thing to do. Like, look, I, I can't just kill you. So if you can just please go away and mind your own business, that would be great. Whereas kind of, you know, he's, he's kind of ruthless here to be straight away of like, no, they, they're gone. They, they got to go. I agree with you. I suppose my only thoughts as a counterpoint is that at this point, we don't know that, I mean, they, they can't talk from what we can see because they don't actually talk until later, so it might just be that they just have no personality. And so it's almost yeah. just like, you know, a switch on type thing. Because I didn't mention it, but like Wheeljack and Ratchet ask them to try and clear out some rubble in front of them from the cavern. And they are going to do it, although they don't, basically. It's a weird animation thing. I'm not sure what happened there. But it implies that they can only take orders and then seemingly do whatever the heck they want based on their dinosaur instincts. 
Yeah, it, I, I do feel like it's just, yeah, it's, it's almost more of a weird writing inconsistency in terms of like how the Dinobots are put across because it's mm -hmm. sort of suggested that they have brains, but then also kind of suggested that they don't. And kind of how things pan out later in this episode only really reinforces that idea that they're not necessarily kind of, you know, they, they don't really have mental faculties at this point in time. So it's sort of, it's a, it's a weird thing that you can take kind of one way or the other. Hmm. So back to the Hydro base that I mentioned after they are not able to actually contact Teletran 1, we then cut to Hound and Spike being on patrol. Because of Teletran 1 being down, they're actually scanning for any distress signals in the area. Or for Decepticon activity, it should be noted. Hound picks up something and is able to use his holographic capabilities to project an image of what's occurring. Simply put, Decepticons at the Hydro plant. He relays the details to Prime and all the Autobots, except for Bumblebee, who is left in charge with the base, and also Wheeljack, because he's welding something in his workshop. They all mobilize to head to the Hydro plant. Now, it should be noted, at this point, we assume that Wheeljack has probably, like, disobeyed an order to just, like, do anything regarding the Dinobots, so the fact he doesn't go, little bit weird there, but, you know, come back to that later, as it were. At the Hydro plant, the Decepticons have gathered a lot of Energon cubes, to say the least, but Megatron makes it clear, makes it clear to Starscream specifically, that if the Autobots interfere, they're ready for them. It turns out they were hiding pretty much in plain sight, and they ambushed them. During this time, we get the epic burn from Starscream towards Ironhide. This is what I was talking about earlier, Andy, when he called him Rusty Pants. Yeah, specifically, you're too slow, Rusty Pants, which is a is a, is a fantastic, it is a fantastic line. That that's definitely my that that is absolutely my favorite out of this batch of episodes. It's unbeatable. Megatron, however, has quite a devious plan because harnessing the hydro power directly into his arm cannon combined with Rumble generating an earthquake to weaken the ground around where the Autobots are standing, Megatron unleashes a giant laser from his arm cannon to the Autobots, sorry, to the cliff edge where the Autobots are standing, which gives way, sending the Autobots plummeting to the water below. Bumblebee then arrives on the scene knowing full well that he disobeyed a direct order because he was meant to be watching the base, but just couldn't sit back and do nothing. But he picks up Spike because all the other Autobots are in the water at this point, and they both make a quick exit. Starscream is now asking his fearless leader, Megatron that is, what they're going to do now. He answers that they're going to retrieve them and get them ready for permanent... I've put distinction. That That's autocorrect going wrong. I'm going to say deactivation. It's probably yeah, a word. Because <laughs> otherwise, is. that makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> so any notes on like this whole battle scene up to then? I think it was quite an impressive thing. And unfortunately, though, the consistent thing of the Autobots just not really that good at actually trying to attack the Decepticons. It's, it's, a, it's a running joke at this point. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's sort of weird because, yeah, like, definitely in this, it's very much, it's just part of the narrative of, like, the Autobots have got to get into a, a pretty sticky situation to have, like, an interesting resolution to it, but it's sort of, in a weird way, it sort of feeds into sort of the broader Transformers law of, like, the Autobots all being, like, none of them are, or very few of them are, like, natural-born warriors, like, most of them are just, like, normal robots that were doing other things whatever robots did on cybertron before the war and they've just all been kind of forced into it by circumstances so that's absolutely not what this cartoon is going for but 
in, unwittingly kind of gets there anyway of just like ah you know with maybe one or two exceptions these guys are all like you know just supposed to be like like any war they've basically been conscripted in to you know just do what, whatever they need to back at the arc ratchet and wheeljack learn about how bad things are looking out there on the battlefield but they don't have enough autobots to, to go out there and fight with them now because they're already all out there but wheeljack reveals his research that he has been continuing on his research project of updating the memory components of the Dinobots' brains, making them smarter and easier to control. He hopes. They implement the new devices on the Dinobots and they are reawakened. They are given the order to save their friends and their leader, Optimus Prime. The Dinobots each respond, with Grimlock, I wanted to highlight, specifically saying that they'll do what they say for now. Very, very prominent line there. Back at the waterfall, I said waterfall, hydro plant, whichever it is at this point, they're all the same. <laughs> the downed Autobots are now shackled to rocks in their weakened state. Thanks to what uh, Megatron describes as Energon chains. I'm interested to see if these ever come back as a concept, Andy, because I honestly did, did not remember them, that they were even a thing. Yeah, so <laughs> really weird, deep personal deep cut on this is like the main <laughs> okay. reason... The main reason I remember the Energon chains being a thing is because I was an a, an avid collector of the Transformers Panini sticker album <laughs> at this time. And one of the few stickers that I, I I completed it in the end, and I really wish I'd kept it because you can buy them for like 300 quid on eBay now. And I'm like, damn, I, I missed a trick. But one of the few stickers that I, I, wait, I didn't get right to the end was it was like a two sticker like shot of all of the Autobots chained up in those chains. And I spent a lot of time looking at half of that picture and like being really annoyed that I didn't have the, the other half of the Autobots in their Energon chains. And that's the main reason that 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 there was a real nostalgia moment when that shot cropped up of just like, oh man, that sticker album. <laughs> that's a really cool story. I really like that. And uh, so also to note at this point as well, did you notice how blue Optimus Prime looked when he was changed to the wall? Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, that this is one of those weird, like, was that an animation error or is there some, like, deliberate intent of, like, you know, his energies being sapped or something? Because we know, we know from, like, from canon that Optimus Prime goes grey when, you know, his, all his life force is gone. So maybe this is some kind of intermediate state where the Energon chains are draining his life. Or maybe they just coloured him wrong, more likely. <laughs> Uh, and it also should be said as well that the, the Decepticons are preparing to give them terminal meltdown, or as I have put it here, aka the firing squad treatment. Yeah, or aka just a meltdown. I mean, really, I, I'm not sure there's a non-terminal way of melting down <laughs> a robot, but, you know, I, I'm no expert in that field. <laughs> Megatron clearly knows more than we do. <laughs> exactly. At that point, Wheeljack and the Dinobots arrive by flying in. The Decepticons are just caught completely off guard. They've got no idea who the three new Autobots are, with Starscream throwing shade that Megatron is supposed to know everything. The Dinobots uh, identify who their friends are by the face, quote-unquote, emblem on their chest, respectively. Wheeljack fires an, an in inhibitor shell, as I wrote down, at Megatron, which prompts the fantastic line from Megatron, and I can't replicate this without the sound effect to go with it, but he says, My equilibrium destabilized ah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that's, that's also it's, 
I, I assume that that's also kind of the, the same thing Megatron says, like on a Friday night after a few too many drinks, because that <laughs> sounded a lot more like he just had a few too many, and he's just like, oh no, I'm my equilibrium destabilized. Yeah, like oh my, my hangover, goddamn. <laughs> Or it's the constant headache, headache of having to put up with Starscream, one or the other. Well, yeah, <laughs> that, that also. Speaking of, at that point, Starscream takes the opportunity to anoint himself the new leader of the Decepticons, again, sending a rocket barrage into Grimlock, then being promptly shot out of the sky by Grimlock. Thundercracker is no match for the combined horn lasers and fire breath of slag, and everything that the, De the Decepticons are trying just simply isn't working. The Dinobots are too strong for them. Rumble in particular, feeling the wrath of Sludge while uttering the rap of, if on Decepticon turf, you happen to tumble. Look out. Look out, robot, because here comes Rumble. I butchered that Cle rap and I'm annoyed. Cle clearly, he'd clearly been workshopping that one for quite a while, <laughs> just saving it up for a, a good moment. <laughs> then promptly, in the process, has one of his arms broken off as a result of Sludge throwing an earthquake of his own back at Rumble. Pretty brutal, but there you go. Skywarp's wing is caught in, uh, by Grimlock in his mouth, quite frankly, while he is flying in his jet form and is then thrown into Soundwave. Megatron vows to keep fighting and transforms into his handgun mode that he then attaches himself to the underside of Starscream's jet, acting as like a new form of laser cannon, which I thought looked really, really cool. Yeah, that's that is definitely like a, a cool thing that I uh, that that is something that I don't remember happening at all. So that was that was a, a pleasant surprise. It's like a proper deep cut moment there, isn't it? At this point, Wheeljack uses Sideswipe's flare gun to dry off the to dry off the circuits of the Autobots, and then Blue Streak's bolt uh, to give them an instant recharge, and thus being able to free them from the Energon shackles. The Autobots are now free, and eventually Megatron orders a retreat. Then, when all is said and done, Wheeljack and Bumblebee, knowing that they have disobeyed direct orders from Prime, are waiting for their punishment. But Prime admits that sometimes, quote-unquote, even the wisest of men and machines can be in error. I have no reprimand for Wheeljack or Bumblebee. But as for the Dinobots, they have proven their value. The Dinobots shall remain among us. And the episode draws to a close. I really, really, really liked this episode, Andy. I, this is probably one of my favourites so far. Yeah, I mean, the, the Dinobots are kind of always catnip, you know, partly for, for some of the, the reasons that I mentioned of them being sort of an interesting double-edged sword, but also whenever you get them into action scenes, they tend to just kick ass and that's always a good thing to see and it's it is one of the fun things about kind of transformers in particular where you you have these sort of you know braggard decepticon characters that you know throw out their 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 little one-line quip about how great they are and then immediately just get kind of you know bits broken off them or otherwise like obliterated by an opponent and it's just that it's just that really fun like i'm a genius oh no kind of like double <laughs> double image meme um writ large so yeah that that stuff is 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 all good like even the little things like i mean you sort of mentioned you know the the dinobots figuring out like oh we know who to fight just from the faces and like that's a really good like back to brass tax of like the Autobot V Decepticon symbols 
actually been used in real world terms and not just you know for, for kind of the audience and just a reminder of like oh yeah these are actual kind of you know insignias in a war and actually they're kind of useful here um so yeah there's there's lots of good good little good little things in there that, that are definitely definitely enjoyable and uh yes yeah, it's, it's always good to see a, a bit of dinobot time so with that being said i think that concludes us talking about these episodes but uh but andy before we close out proper i guess i will ask any particular favorite episode from the four that we've talked about tonight no i mean like i say i, I kind of enjoyed them all in their their own ways like i think sos dinobots is probably the most interesting because it, it it does break the formula because it has new characters to introduce and it has to do some different things um i didn't mention it at the start of that episode when you mentioned the sonadar thing but i like how they felt that neither sonar nor radar was cool enough and as they had to combine the two um <laughs> that's some, some quality writing but no i i really liked all of these episodes they they were all good fun and i think they were exactly what i needed at the, the point when i watched them as just the kind of yeah light-hearted cartoon entertainment so i really enjoyed these but i'm also really excited for next week because we're gonna get to talk about one of my favorite sets of episodes so i'm i'm all over that yeah i i in particular like divide and conquer and sos dinobots the first two i know coming into this podcast i said i was pretty lukewarm and going back over them i i did enjoy them but those those last two in particular today i really got a kick out of but as you said, next time we are going to be talking. We're going back to three episodes to discuss as well. So it probably won't be as long of a podcast unless, you know, there's a ridiculous amount of notes to talk about. But we will be talking about The Ultimate Doom, episodes eight through ten. It is another three-parter. And uh, I'm, very looking I'm very much looking forward to seeing this, Andy, because I genuinely don't remember anything about this right now. I've not looked it up. I'm kind of trying to go in blind to all of these again, just so I can take it as I see it. But I have no recollection as to what this actual trilogy is about, and I'm really excited for it. Yeah, like I think these uh, these three episodes, or at least I, I think I probably watched saw all three of them. But like these were amongst the first episodes that I remember seeing. Remember seeing as a kid, um, and I, I think I definitely watched watched a bunch of them out of order which is like unsurprising for kind of you know watching them on tv but i i very much like remember these episodes as a kid and just being like oh wow like you know this is weirdly these episodes feel like they should have been like the season ender because they have like the really big kind of high stakes idea and because it's three episodes it has time to kind of run with it as, as, a, as a sort of some some really cool ideas so yeah i'm 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 excited to, to watch these again because uh, there's some cool stuff here. So there we go, folks. That will be our next episode. And as mentioned before, if you want to watch the episodes with us, as it were, you can go to the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel and find all the episodes there legally, completely for free. Andy, any closing thoughts before we wrap up this here show today? No, no, I, I don't don't listen to Starscream apart from the times when he's actually got a good point and you should listen to him. That's my advice for today. <laughs> that, that's like that's like the message at the end of an episode of He-Man, like your public service announcement. <laughs> like don't don't listen to Starscream folks, but maybe listen to him sometimes. Only listen to him when he's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Folks, thank you very much for checking out this episode today. We hope you enjoyed it, be you listening on audio or checking out the video version. If you want to get hold of us, we do indeed have a Twitter and Instagram account. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at StarscreamPod. Or if you want to drop us an email, you can do so at StarscreamsGhostPod at gmail.com. 
from myself, Jeremy Graves, from him, Mr. Andy Hanley, we have been Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. And until next time, we'll speak to you soon. Bye, everyone.